All right, today we've got Shane, who was described by the Home Office as in the top six most dangerous prisoners in the country. And we've got Wildman co-interviewing in the Liverpool studio. Wildman's playlist is in the description box below this video. Over 100 videos now, hours and hours of content if you want to check out the Wildman stuff. So Shane, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having us. How did the come to this conclusion that you were one of the six most dangerous prisoners in the UK? It's because I was just attacking, attacking officers and hate the system. We started off basically me going to jail for. Um, I was first originally charged for two attempted murders. Two attempted murders. Are you able to um, describe the story behind them, or can you not talk about that? Yeah, well, I can. Well, the first attempted murder was uh, there was a lad from Hartlepool who was meant to be a nutcase himself and he'd just getting out of prison. And we confronted each other over something in the middle of the town centre in Hartlepool. And and that's when he pulled out a hammer. We call them mash hammers, the square ones, what you do pavement slabs with. And you can get the big long-handled ones or the short-handled ones, yeah. the short one of them. And he ran up to me and he smashed me across the top of my head. But as he was doing that, I, had, I used to walk about with uh, this, you know, the kitchen knives. I used to have the full set all around my waist, and I was walking the streets, and I um, basically pulled out the biggest one, which was the nine-inch kitchen blade, and I stabbed them straight through the top of his head here, and it come out of his eyebrow there. Uh, and then, obviously, everybody scattered, everyone shouted, please, everybody ran. He was left with a knife. See, when I ran away, because what used to happen to me, I was a bit mentally ill at the time, mm-hmm. so when when I felt threatened, I would I'd go blank. And so I didn't really know what was going on. All I knew was he hit me across the head with a hammer. And everything else I'm telling you is what was in the depths and what like witnesses had said. But I ran away and I got a mile away from the scene and I come back round and I was not come back normal. And I thought I had the knife still in my hand because I had the handle in my hand. And when I had the handle in my hand, everyone was like, just look white, like pale white. like They would just look scared like they'd seen a ghost. And I was like, what's up with you? They went, you've killed him. So said, you just stabbed me in the head. I said, no, I've got the knife in my hand. He and I looked and I only had the handle. And I'd left the handle, in. I've left the blade in his in his head and it's, the handle had snapped off and I'd, we'd, we'd run. So that was the first attempted murder. So if he drew first blood, you reacted in self-defence. Is it because of the nature of your reaction with the knife, it becomes that serious a charge they can't, you can't say it's just self defence you look at it's premeditated don't you if you're actually carrying a blade are you? kind if, of kitchen set yeah if you'd picked <laughs> if you'd picked the brick up yeah and then and did it it's, it's not premeditated right but if you've got like you know more knives than fucking Rambo Rambo yeah were you in some kind of gangland warfare that this was no, going I've on no I've never I've never been in the, I used to think I was a gangster when I was younger and yeah. when I was running about like an idiot but when I look back on my life, I was I was just an idiot. How old were you when this happened? I was young. You talking? I don't know about nineteen, eighteen, nineteen when that happened. It's good that you describe yourself as an idiot because the kids watching this, we don't no, want to, we don't want it to be glamorized. A hundred percent. What do you say to kids who are carrying knives like that? Just it's wrong. And you think you're big and tough at the time, but it's a, it's a big mistake. At the end of the day, you can kill them. And not nine times out of ten, when people carry knives, it's it's not too. Um, to stab people, you know what I mean? Some people aren't capable, but they carry them and then they end up getting into situations where they end up stabbing someone and then you end up killing them. 
And then it's like you've ruined their life and you've ruined your own life and your family's lives and their family's lives. And the ripple effect of who that hurts is just, it's a big mistake for me. And the reg- for me, changing my heart. See, this is the difference. Here we go. Um, yeah, this is the difference for me. Is when you're in a life of crime and you're going around stabbing and hurting people, it's good and you don't care. But what about one day if you suddenly change your heart and you realise um, what you've done and you, you have them Im- images in your head of what you did to people and you've got to live with that, you've got to live with that for the rest of your life and at the time you might feel okay about it and at the time it might be good but you're going to grow up and one day you are going to regret what you've done and so rather than have them regrets it would be good not to have them. Do you know what I mean? It's, you, as, it's as much as I can say about it really. If you, if you find God though. God will forgive. Yeah, 100%. That's a really powerful message, Shane. I really appreciate that. Because yeah. we do have so many young people watching the videos and we don't want them to be picking up knives and, and ending up spending the rest of their lives in prison and the mom, seeing the mum in court and all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's absolutely heartbreaking, isn't it? And the mum of the victim as well. Yeah. And her family. But equally you with the hammer. I mean, people nowadays, they're getting stabbed for the phone and stuff. It's terrible. But, I mean... For him to come at you with a hammer, there must have been some... Oh, there was things in the background of why that happened. This wasn't just a thing of, like, you know... It wasn't just you met on the street. No, it wasn't someone... What was the background? Are you able to talk about that? Not really, but it's just about, basically, two people. So you have two people who are handy, and two people, they want to meet up on a field and fight. Yeah, but And then you have people who are classed as a bit psychopathic and a bit nuts. And then it's like, who's more crazier? Who's willing to go as far? As far? Like so you, you t- yeah, you're, yeah. So you, t- you turn up with a knife. You, t- you turn up with knives and you fight. And who's 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 going to run and who's going to stand and take the knives? Who's going to stab stab the living daylights out you and kill you because they've got the guts? You know. And, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I was the kind of because of my mental health, I couldn't let things go. And so, I, I, and the more I left it, the more aggressive and angry, and the more I would think about killing them. And I was diag—I don't know—I was diagnosed with having psychopathic tendencies by a psychiatrist and paranoid delusions in the sense of if someone disrespected me, for, it wouldn't go out my head, and I would sit on a daily basis and Season. plan and and think, I'll kill him, I'll stab his neck, and and I'd daydream it, and then I'd walk down the street and then I'd feel like people were laughing at me. I'd think, like, look at that, he's mugged you off, and they're all laughing, they all know about it. And then I'd go home and I'd be like, yeah, he's mugging me off, is he? He's mugged me off. Right, I'm going to kill him. And then I'd start daydreaming about how I was going to kill him. And I've had an incident where somebody bumped into me. This is crazy, this, but someone bumped into me. And it wouldn't leave my mind. So about six months or something, it was in my head. And I was thinking about killing him and that. And I turned up at his door six months after. I was like, oh, then get out, to go on a bit mad. And he was like, what on earth you're on about? He totally forgot, even on the same day, he forgot he, it, all this happened. But I'm still there six months down the line wanting to kill him and thinking about it, and it wouldn't go out my head. And okay. that was the kind of person I was. I wasn't hard, but I was game. Yeah. I wouldn't back down from anybody, and I'd have a fight, and I would fight people. I wasn't like, I wouldn't do not do that. But there was something not wired in my head, and I just, even if I had a fight and I got beat, I wouldn't be able to leave it. I'd have to come back. I'd have to kill him. I'd have to stab him. I'd have to... I just couldn't leave it in my brain. You'd take it to the next level. 100, yeah. Which I've proven, and that's what I've, I've 
sort of done in my life. Well, you look like a big handy fella now, but you yeah. said you were even bigger back then. I was about 19 stone. Full you of the weights and stuff. Yeah, weights constantly. It's why I stopped the prison. Like, when I went in prison and went a bit wild, it's why I've, like, done crazy things because they wouldn't let me go to the gym and stuff like that. So I've kicked off and ended up with bigger charges in prison and stuff. Did you get on the steroids or drugs? I've been on steroids, yeah. Drugs was just more like a, I couldn't... If I took any weed or out like that, or at the time it was tack weed, solid, and I would just go paranoid instantly. If I took whiz, I'd be paranoid to death. If I tried to take drugs, I would just go super paranoid. And at the time, I used to think, because I was paranoid, I used to always worried about being shown up in a fight. And so I would just constantly train. I wouldn't take drugs. And I would just train constantly, because I always felt like people were out to get me. And I had to be ready at all times so that I could win. Like, I can't explain how my mind used to think. When I was in prison, sorry, when I was in prison over there, I, I generally took semi-Gesics, we get semis. Yeah. You, know, like you get twos and fours. They make you sleep good. But um, you see some of them, especially the Scottish, they're just smacked out. They must do more smack in fucking prison than they do outside. Yeah, there's loads of drugs in jail, isn't there? Fucking crazy. It's more in jail than on the out sometimes, isn't it? And then you've got Sunderland and Millsburg, like you say, Hartlepool. And... Don't they call them monkeys or something? What, monkey hangers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they get called. The, the storyline behind that, because the mentor have found a, a monkey on a boat and thought it was a spy. <laughs> so they hanged it, and so they get called monkey hangers to this day. <laughs> but they get insulted at that, so I'm not meaning to insult people. He said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, just to put this on the same playing field then, I've got so many stories about Wild Man's paranoia. <laughs> he'd stay up on Crystal Meth for a week at a time and then he'd think like the Mexicans were coming to kill him and stuff. But there was one night in particular, me and a bouncer, this bouncer had been telling him stories of Wild Man before Wild Man arrived in America and he thought I was embellishing. He goes, I finally met Wild Man and we went out and Wild Man just picked me up like I was a rag doll and threw me around and all this stuff. So I'm, me and this bouncer in the front of the car Wildman's in the back, and we're driving away. I'm like on, on ecstasy and stuff, buzzing. And Wildman's just looking at me, just staring at me with his bloodshot <laughs> eyes. He hasn't slept in a week. I'm like, what's up, lad? He's just staring at me. And he goes, I know you two are taking me out to the desert. <laughs> we're like, what? We're you, your best mates. We love you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know too much. You're taking me out to the desert, aren't you? You build yourself up, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you might, yeah. It's and I'm thinking, enough. if he believes this, he's probably got a weapon on him any minute right now. <laughs> I'm driving. There's going to be a fucking knife going in my neck or something. No, I was going to choke us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like a lot of that. You get the rest together, bang them together and choke them out. Class. <laughs> so you said um, there was a second attempted murder. What was the backstory for that? Well, that one was this. Some, what happened is someone passed a, um, a lie around that I'd done something to uh, chase an, an older woman or something. Mm. And he passed that around to get an, a, a lad who was meant to be a bit handy at the time to get him involved, and it wasn't true. And I was selling ecstasy at the time, but mine probably wasn't as good as yours, but no. <laughs> I used to sell them at the time. It was only a few, and I, I had a, a bag of 100E. And I went in to get rid of them because someone had passed a rumour around that they had um, heroin in because they had brown speckly dots mm. on them. And someone said they'd been mixed with heroin. And at the time, it wasn't a big thing where I come from. So no one would have them. 
So I walked into a club and didn't realise that they'd passed this rumour around. Mm. And there was a local lad who was pretty handy at the time. Um, I give the eight me mail. When they have a free night, there's under for you. And I chucked them to him and he's there with his pals and his long leather jacket, you know. And he went, hey, I want a word with you. I remember going to the side and I sat down with him. And I, he, he said what he'd said. And I went to explain myself. I thought, wait there a minute. I don't have to exp- explain myself to him. And I sat back. And he, he's going on and on and on. And then I just remember looking to the side and thinking, he's just pulled me up here. The whole club was silent. Everyone knew I was getting a bit mad now and everyone was getting a bit fearful of me. And I just had this sense, if I don't do anything to him here, he's just pulled me up. If I walk away, it looks like he's pulled me up and I've backed down. I'm going to lose first. And I'll, Yeah, that's what I thought. So I made a choice there and then. I want to make an example of him so all these people in here know what's going to happen when you pull me up. And then as I'm thinking this in my head, he said the wrong thing. He come forward a bit on the on the table and he just said, uh, you want to mess about the big boys, do you? Mm-hmm. And something snapped in my head and I went into his face. Remember, I'm, a, I'm not a gangster, but I thought I was. I put my head in my face into his face and I said, no, 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 no. You just messed about with, you know, come outside. I said, I'm going to kill you. So I walked outside the club and it was on some steps. It's called the Royal Arms area in Pete Lee. And he didn't come out, so I thought, oh, he's flapped it, he's back down. And uh, I went to the top of the stairs, and there was loads of people in front of him. They were saying, do not go out there, he means what he says. And they were trying, he's like, no, when you've had a drink, move out the way, and yeah, stuff like that. And uh, anyway, I heard one of them shout, leave him. He's being warned. Leave him, let him go. And uh, they all stepped out the way. He come out. I, I went to the top of the stairs with a knife, like, you know, my fam- fam- famous pack. And I just basically <laughs> pulled out the nine-inch kitchen blade and I waited for the door to open. And as he come out, I turned around and just stuck the knife straight through his body. Oh, my God. And I pulled it in out. Just chest, in the heart. Around about there. Oh. I pulled it out. And when I pulled it when I pulled it out, it made like a, oh. like a sound like that. No sound going in. So I'm guessing it must be oh. like the, the, the wind, the air sucking in. Yeah. Oh. So when I pulled out, it... And then he just... What was weird about what I can see... Is when I did it and pulled it out, I looked. I actually thought I'd missed because there was no blood. Then all of a sudden, he just dropped. And then it was just like, like just so fast as if there was a tap. It was that deep cut. I've, I've seen him before. But I've seen a guy get slashed. And you actually open up for a bit and there's no blood at all. You it think, was weird. Is that yeah. weird? And next minute, it's, and then it just it's so deep. And that's what's happened. And he basically, it was just like a tap was on, and it was just it went from having nothing to literally it was just like a tap. Then two lads jumped off this step, and they both pulled out knives, and it was like a standoff. So I'm in the middle, and when I'm going for him, he's trying to get me. And then when I'm going for him, so what I did is I thought to myself, see how calm I am in this in this situation. Everyone would be panicking, and I just thought to myself, wait there a minute, he's coming at me, but he was forward, so he's. He's like jabbing at me. Yeah. And he's 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 forward and I thought to myself, I can get him in the temple. I thought if I pretend to go for him, then I can just swing and get him. And so I went to pretend to get him and as he come in, I just turned and just swung and he just got his head back. And I just missed him and he went, Whoa. He said he means business him, are we? And they both walked off. Did he think about throwing the knives at him? 
I didn't know. I didn't. Well, if I'd have been in trouble if I threw it, and then they both stood with one. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> so I'd have been it's a bit in with his pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd have been in tr- trouble a little bit. But yeah, just sort of. Uh, and now I'm on the run. Um, see, because the first one, what happened is there was not much evidence on it, so they had to bail me for further investigation. Mm-hmm. So they bailed me on a further investigation, which shocked me. But sometimes I think the police just want you to get lifed off and they know you're going to. So like, yeah, get him out again. Go on, he's going to do something. And that might be my paranoia. What was your bail on the first one? Uh, the bail was attempted murder. I mean, how much do you have to pay to get out of the bail? Oh, you don't. You don't. Not in this country. Does this let you out? Yeah. Yeah. Attempted murder? Yeah. No, it, it's due to lack of evidence. Of what's, it is, there was no evidence at the time. There wasn't much evidence. Right. They've got to build up for the Crown Court. Right. Yeah. And, they're hoping, you, and they're hoping you'll do something else. To make well, that's what I'm, I'm yeah. guessing. But uh, yeah. what happened was is, so then I'm, on, I'm, I'm bailed on that one. And while I'm on bail for that one, this happened. And now they're after, now they're like blocking estates off and raiding people's houses who I don't even know. And then the people who I do know, they, were, they went to a different area, come in with the, uh, not guns, like dogs and the riot gear and all that, went straight to the pictures of me, smashed the pictures out and took the photos. Like, it's illegal, really, I think. That you take That's someone else's house. You can't go and take the property without any... But they were just going to people's houses, smashing their... getting the pictures out and taking the pictures with them. They're making themselves a nuisance because they were thinking... Oh, these are going to get fed up of us looking for them. Well, one of them's going to dob him in. You yeah. know what I mean? We're torturing, like, yeah. just all over people, do you know what I mean, to get me in. And they even had, like, um, photographs, what they were given to every, all shops around all local areas. And the reason why I knew this is I walked in the shop one day. And you know when you just see that the, the, the shop woman, just like, as if she knew who I was, she was just like, and, like, just act, and I just thought, nah, and I ran. And I went out and I ran. And they were telling people, like, no, if you see this person, you know, ring instantly and stuff. And within, like, five, ten minutes, the whole area was just absolutely covered. You so see, I couldn't go out anywhere. I couldn't do out. You see the notice board with, like, people selling fridges and that, and a big wanted picture with you. you know, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> it's crazy. How long were you on the run for? Oh, three or four months. What was your strategy? Uh, get revenge on everybody I can before I get caught. So you wasn't just trying to hide, you were trying to get... Revenge as well. Yeah, so there was one occasion where um, I pulled up. I haven't mentioned this, I don't think. Where I pulled up outside of a house. And um, I was actually going for the motorbike. There was a nice motorbike there, and I thought, oh, I'll get that one. And as I was pinching the motorbike, someone hung out the top window and went, oh, you, what you doing? So I went, pinching your bike, what does it look like? And as I looked up, <laughs> I realised it was someone who hit me mum when I was in prison years ago and as a younger and uh, basically, I just sort of like, um, as soon as I saw him, I, I wanted him to see me. I'm on the run anyway. I thought, so I could get lifed off. I took my um, helmet off. I went, you know who I am? And he was like, who are you? And then he realised who I was when I told him. And I started booting into his front door, uh, kicked his front door in. Him and his family um, barricaded themselves in the back room so I couldn't get into the, the back room. And if the truth is... And I'm not going to hide who I was, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of who I am. I had no, you know, you get criminals, I don't know if you can say this, but criminals who think they're morally right, and they're moral, because I don't do this thing and I don't do that. They justify things that are yeah, justifiable. Criminals are criminals. They just make it, but, they're trying to make themselves feel better, Yeah, that's all. And that's what it was, you know, but I was, I had no morals, like, 
I would have killed anyone in that room if I got in it. Like, I just didn't care. And, you know, scumbag or not, who cares? And if I can't get you, I'll come after your mother. If I can't get your mother, I'll come after your wife. If I can't get your wife, I'll get you back. You know, and this is how I used to think. And it's morally wrong. And when I look back, and the thing is, is I've got kids now. And so the biggest thing for me, you know, I was talking earlier on about you've done things in your life and, and you've got to live with it. And I've got, like, I've got like five kids now under 10. And the thought of them having to experience um, being like dragged into a, a room and have to be barricaded in because some crazy man is trying to come in and get them. It's like an experience I would never want my children to experience. And so the, the, this is the things I live with. This is the things I have on a, um, a daily basis. I remember washing up one day and there's something I've done in my life. So I've done that much uh, and I forgot all about it. And I was just washing up one day and it just it just hit me. I just it just I got the image of this stuff. And because uh, I used to do that all the time, running people's houses and the families would be there and, and I've got images of like kids screaming and the parents have got a hold of them and I've got these images and me putting knives to the throat saying I'm gonna kill yours with a psychopathic look. Like I've got to live with um I've got to live with that. Well, people can see you're a changed man. And yeah. you're extremely honest. You know, a lot of people sugarcoat what they've done. And you've come here and you've just, like, laid it all out. Nothing to hide. And, you know, just nothing but respect for that. And you're not glamorising it either. You see quite clearly you're upset over it. You know what I mean? Respect that, though, man. And you've told the young people, this is what happens when you get into that knife game. And um, don't do it, basically, as well, so... Otherwise, a real man will come and get you with a fucking lot of Ram, Gordon Ramsay fucking style. Imagine these two showing up at your house because <laughs> you think you're smart because you're a drug dealer or something just starting out and these two come and tax you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're in the house. They barricade themselves in. Do you try and get through the barricade or you just get out there? I try to get in and then obviously you know you've got a, like a time limit for all the bobbies there. Yeah. I'm on the run anyway. As soon as my name's mentioned, they'll be everywhere. Did you so get at least the key left. for the motorbike? Yeah, I didn't get the bike. I just jumped on the one I had and done one. Yeah. And then I just went on an absolute... Do you know when you give up on life and you think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to jail for a long time, suck it. If I get life, I get life. And I just started... Um, so there was like, And I was, I was horrible to me pals as well. I, I, I was taxing me, like going to my mates' houses and just saying, oh, how much is there on the side? And it'd be like a couple of grand, and I'd be like, right, thank you. Oh, we man, we met them. Shut up, bang. And and I'd just start taxing everybody and just went absolutely wild. And there's a lot more, there's other stuff I've done, there's other stabbings and there's other things, but I just, I've never been caught for them, so I can't really Let's say. Let's not discuss them. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, what I mention is what, I, what the police already know about, so that's it. That's all I can say. So were, were there any big-time names? Like, a lot of people come on here talked about Viv Graham, Lee Duffy, people like that. For your era, were there any big-time names you were associated with? Associated with is... This is what I'm saying. I, I thought I was a gangster. I thought I was with loads of criminals, but not not big... No big-time gangsters, no big-time faces. I bumped into some very big faces, and I've been around and done things with big faces, but I'm not, I'm not a gangster. I'm not a gang member. I'm just some absolute nutcase who wouldn't back down from anybody and was just an absolute psychopath who the gangsters would bobbly avoid. 
<laughs> and if anything, if not avoid, thought, oh, great having him on my side because no yeah. one else, you know. So that's all I was. I was nothing special. But at the time, I thought I was. I'd watched too many two-pack films and too many good fella films and I'd run about thinking that running about, being crazy and being a nutcase and having people walk across the street when you... I thought that was a gangster. And it's not. It's called gangsteritis. Yeah, well, that's what I was. <laughs> and I admit it, but at the time, I would have, if you'd have said it, I'd have been like, I'm the biggest gangster in this jail. Who wants... Oh, with them, let's go. Anyone wants to fight, let's fight. And I'll beat them, and that's what I was like. But you were healthy as well, though, weren't you? You wasn't getting all drugged up and doing needles and out. No, no, I was uh, very fit. I've got... I, well, you can't see it now, but I've, there's pictures where I was 19 stone, absolutely ripped to death. Uh, psychopathic. Um, I bumped into... Um, Actually, I wouldn't say he's a big name as in he's like an international name, but there's someone in Middlesbrough who is a pretty tough lad and he is well known. And he's a, a fighter, super heavyweight world champion as well. He's called Paul Venice. Big lad then. Uh, he, yeah, he's a, if you look at his fights, he's called Paul Venice and he he's a very, very hard man and a, a very tough tough lad and well known. And he's he basically um, he says a few things about me. Uh, about me being a bit of a nutter. And, and in one of them, he just says, uh, basically, that he um, he knows he could beat me. He knows he would have beat me back then in a fight. But at the same time, he knows how much of a nutcase he is. And probably he's asked to watch every bush he walks past when he, you know. <laughs> so sometimes I think there's different kinds of a reputation, you see. Why, I'd say there's three. I'd say there's the big boys, and they're in it for the money. And, they're in, and it's all about becoming powerful and, and like mafia kind of figures and ecstasy kingpings or whatever you know but and then you've got on that under that level you've got two kinds of reputations so you've got people who can fight and not they can fight and they're hard and not many people Strangers. can beat them and then you get the psychopathic people who yeah. people just think avoid him don't cross him because he'll turn up at your front door and blow your head well, off the guys who fight as well avoid the psychopathic too yeah and that's what i'm on about you and, don't i mean like I don't have a straight room with anyone, but I don't really want to fancy someone like Ted Kitchen fucking knives, you know what I mean? And I think it's the gameness, because anyone can carry a knife, but not everyone's got the capability to kill. And I, oh, I, no, Even no, no. people who kill, like really, I, I, this might sound crazy, but there's people who carry knives and the, 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 their intention's not to kill anyone, and they get into this mad scruffle and fight, and then they, like, they end up stabbing them out of fear sometimes. They didn't, didn't intend to kill them. And then they're like, they're, you know, it, it's not in them. Well, nine times out of sense. ten, it's like if you corner a rat, it'll attack. And that, that's basically, when you've got a knife, nine times out of ten, people aren't carrying it to go and actually get hurt someone. They're carrying it to so defense. Hurt, yeah. You know what I mean? And then when it kicks off, something happens. But because of that, afterwards, they've just got to big themselves. Yeah, I'm a murderer. Yeah, I've done this. You know, when they're in jail. But the truth is, it's not in them. Whereas there's people who it is. And, and that was me. Like, I, I, I daydreamed it, I literally daydreamed about killing people on a daily basis. Well, you stuck it. Did you have a limit of, like, you thought, I'll just put half the knife in? Or you... No, I just, I just did it, yeah. I was asked a question, uh, when I was interviewed for the news thing, the man said to me, uh, would, would you have been bothered if you killed him? And my instant reaction at the time was, no. That's what I was going for. That was my intention. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't stab someone in the head. Because you want to. The only thing is, I was a bit clueless at the time, didn't realise that the head's probably the hardest part of the body. 
You know, if you want to kill someone, <laughs> I better stop cutting it. That it must have been a good life, dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it wasn't one from Iceland, today, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Bent. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My favourite ones I used to like was like them Rambo knives. Mm. And they've got a compass on the top. Oh, yeah. And they can unscrew them. And you normally have matches and all that in. Oh, fish you I used to have them. I used to have them. I used to like like walking about with them as well. I used to love them. Commando knives, aren't they? Yeah. Because it's like, it's weird. Because obviously I must have been mentally ill. Because I would look at knives as it, like they were like a god. I, I, this might sound like I would sit and stare at them and turn them around. And I remember being in a party. I killed the buzz. Everyone's wrecked. Listen to this. So everybody's wrecked. This is funny, this. And there's some handy lads in there as well. They're all wrecked. And I pulled my knife out because it was new. And it yeah. was one of them Rambo ones. And I'm turning it. I'm looking at it. And I forgot where I was. I actually forgot where I was. And I'm turning the knife round. And, and, and then I just got this urge, like, go and kill someone. So I looked up and I went, oh, let's go and kill someone. And everyone was all on the ends of the city like that, all crumpled up to one side. <laughs> and they were just like staring, no fear. And one of them just slowly come up and he went, oh, you mate, you're killing the buzz and took the knife out of my hand. And then, you know, wow. and this is what I was like. This, I was a bit just mentally ill. Yeah. I wasn't no criminal. I wasn't no gangster. I wasn't anything, just mentally ill. And people just avoided me like the plague. And that's it. Uh, and and that's all I was, you know. Did they pull you up for that? Did they give you like thorazine or? I've been under the men. I was uh, sectioned off. Mm. I got sectioned off. Uh, it used to be called Saint Luke's at the time in, in Middlesbrough, and I was sectioned in there. I got sectioned in there because the police said they just. I had no fear against the system. I had no. So like, I even remember pulling a knife out of the police officer. It's the worst place you can go, though, isn't it? Section eighteens. Because like, it's fucking hell. It's like one flew over the cuckoo's fucking head. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I've met some characters. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pull a knife on the cop? Because I just didn't, I thought like the authority on and I thought, I'm not running from you. I'm not scared of anybody. So you, you think I'm going to run? I remember having some videos. This is crazy as well. I, I'd just burgle a house with somebody and the police come and they skidded the car and everyone scattered. That's a normal thing for a normal person to do. do. You've got yeah, to get away. Yeah. So I'm walking along as if they're mine. He's like, can you come here? I was like, no. He's like, so get off. He's like, oh, we've just had a wee losses. Take your hands off the knife. Take your hands off them. And I pulled, chucked them all on the floor, pulled my knife out and ran towards them. And he was running around the car. And then that's the first time um, psychiatrists sort of get started getting involved in my life. Should have showed a blockbuster card. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the other one was uh, I had a gun. And there... Uh, I just wanted to see what someone would be like. And so it was a security guard in Middlesbrough Town Centre and the football uh, thingy was on, football game. And I uh, pulled the gun out on the um, the security guard and he ran at us and made me run away. He ran at <laughs> you? He did, yeah. <laughs> he ran at me and I ran off. <laughs> I was only young at the time. Is that what Cockle said? If it's a gun, run at him. If it's a knife, run off. Yeah. Is that what he yeah, said? He sure. did, he ran at me, but he panicked me because I was flipping neck and I was only, I wasn't going to do out, but it was just... To scare him, and I had armed police raid my mum's house. I had the armed police all over the place, uh, all for the, no, just daft little things I used to do, just absolutely off me, not really. But Brian see. said that in his last interview. He said, "If someone pulls a gun at you, run at him. If someone pulls a knife, run away." I'll just say run on both. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think to do. <laughs> or get on your knees and say sorry. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> So these are fascinating stories. Good grief! And but 
the question was, you told us now about these, these arrests for attempted murder. Um, you became in the top six most dangerous prisoners in the UK. How did that come about then? Because um, I refused to listen to the system. I hated the system. I just hated authority, really. But what I didn't like is, look, if you're a prison officer and you're sound, you're sound, you're doing your job, good. But you get them ones who put a white shirt on and they've got power behind them because they've got 20 million prison officers behind them. And they just become dogs, really. And there was this one, I loved my gym at the time. And in home, I was prison at the time where I was. You had to press the buzzer. You sell buzzer. They'd come to the end of the wing and shout, Jim. Jim, yeah. And you'd press your buzzer and they'd come and open the door of everyone who pressed the buzzer. Same with church, wasn't it? Yeah, they weren't doing that for me. So they weren't opening my door. Bastards. So I pressed the buzzer the first time. He says, oh, how come you're not opening my door? He went, oh, I'll make sure I'll do it next time. So the next time comes, pressing buzzer, doesn't even come on my landing. But I'm not, they're not doing this to me. What's the reason they were messing with you like that? Probably just because I was running around the jail, like causing havoc and getting involved. In... They don't like you getting big either. Yeah, well, I, was, I did get involved. I was getting, like... I don't want to make it sound like I was a fit, like doing out, but I was like m- muscling in on people as well, like bullying people and saying, "Hey, give me some drugs. Hey, I want this." What? Because you do it fucking nineteen stone, yeah, fucking rip. You know what I mean? Just a nutcase. Fuck it. <laughs> and uh, basically, they just didn't like me, and and I, they didn't like the fact that I wouldn't listen to them, and I was always running my mouth. And and anyway, they weren't letting me out. So what I did, I press. I waited till I saw the officer who I wanted on the wing, and I pressed my buzzer, and he come. I said, and he started, I says, what about the gym? I said, you said you'd let me out. He went, oh, what a pity. I said, see you. I said, you're dead. So I want to get you. He went, oh, whatever, I've heard it all before. I says, we'll see. Okay, then. So instantly set up, a, start setting up a plan. And I went out on a, like, association, and associations when all the inmates go out and play pool, get a shower, uh, you know, do whatever they do, and they mingle on the wing. Yeah. And, and that's what association is. And uh, Watch I watch a bit of TV till a fight goes off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yeah, and then use the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and then they had these big, massive coffee jars, like glass coffee jars, and it was the only thing I had at hand. No dead quick to think about. As soon as the door opened on association, I got that, wrapped it in a towel, and had it as if I was going into the showers. Walked on the bottom landing where all the playing pool, and I went up to two lads and I said, "Look." You know if you kick off, anything kicks off, them officers, because they always stand near the gates to get on and off the wing if anything happens. I said, you know they're going to get off the wing. Shit sounds like yeah. they stand right near the gates as well, though, yeah. they, on either side. <laughs> so I said to them, I said, uh, go to them and just talk to the officers. I said, when it kicks off, just stand in front of the gates so they can't get off the wing. So that's what they did. Uh, they went over, they're chatting away at the officer, he thinks having a normal chat. And then I went up to another lad from Pete Lee and I said, right, Start chucking pool balls at the officer, or screws, we'd call them. And he went, oh, like, he was like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. I says, listen, mate, I said, do you want respect or not? And I knew him from on the out. And he was like, ah, oh, I don't know. I says, look, just do it, man. And he did. He said, okay, then. So I stepped back. I said, I'll deal with everything else. I said, just chuck the pool balls once it kicks off. I'll deal with the rest. Uh, he did. Started chucking the pool balls at the officer. Officers jumped up, went to get off the wing. The lads have jumped in the front of him. Stop him getting off. He's pulled his bat on and ran towards the inmate who was uh, thinging the pool balls. At this point, I pulled out the coffee jar, smashed the bottom off, and I ran up to him and just started stabbing him. Uh, he was putting his hands up, so I was catch. I was going for his face and his neck, but he put his hands up 
And so I'm crack- catching his hands because he's blocking. Yeah. And then he, I'm trying to get him in his stomach. And then he's putting his legs up and I've trapped him into the corner. And I just started just going wild and trying to stab him wherever I could stab him. And I was cutting my own hands as well. Do you know, like bit, little cuts though, where I've had hold of it and it's all, the glass is smashing. And then another officer come. They say I stabbed them, but at this point, you're in like a frenzy, aren't you? You don't know yeah. what's going on. So I, I don't know. Uh, he, he says I did. Uh, they got me on the floor. Uh, and actually, they didn't get me on the floor. I literally I went down. So I've done what I needed to do. And then I've just put the stuff down. I've just laid down, put my hands up. They've come, grabbed all my arms, got my head, did all that rubbish to do. And then one of the officers picked my arm up. Put it on the glass because it was the bottom of the glass. It was still stuck up. And it was like one bit sticking up on that round circle at the bottom. And he's got my arm there. And that was like bone. Do you know what I mean? He put it on and he went, you, boom. And just with his knees, just bounced on my hand. Didn't make a noise. Didn't even feel it to be truthful. And that was because I was, my adrenaline was gone. Yeah. And I, would, I was so full of pride at the time. I don't want them to hear a noise come out of me. And I just basically looked up with him, and it must have scared him this, because I looked up with him, didn't make a noise, and I just went, see you. I said, when I get you for this, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. I'm coming after your family. And that's what I said to him. And then anyway, I go to the hospital. I get shipped to Durham Prison. Went to Durham Prison. Um, they started messing about with me. See, once you do a prison officer, that's it. You're a different ball game. Different ball game to the officers. It's like everywhere you go, it's like you want to mess with one of us. Let's go, we're going to mess with Durham's you. Durham's old school as well, yeah. isn't it? Couldn't break me, though. They couldn't break me. No. What, what did they do to you there, then? <laughs> in that jail, I went there, then went to a top security prison. So I, I got chucked out of there quick. Cartier van. I wasn't Cartier, but they chucked me on a Cartier van, and they took me to Franklin. Uh, top security prison, Franklin. Went to Franklin, they took me straight to segregation unit. Did the Midnight Express, like, just a bit of the night? Yeah, get... just Cartier van. No, straight away. No, there was an incident where um, I got a weapon and threatened, like, jumped out. And I, I jumped out the cell with a weapon, and I went, boo! And all the officers all just jumped back, <laughs> and they were all, like, stood there. I went, here, and they went, because they were winding me up, and they put me on basic and took all my stuff off, so they thought yeah. I couldn't get weapons, so I made a weapon out of something. So you haven't got your TV, oh, you haven't got... Oh, no, I didn't make a weapon. Do you know the lights have got long lights yeah, yeah, on yeah. the top? And they've got special screws in. But I've sussed, what you do is you burn the end of a toothbrush and then you just, when it's all fully melted, I would just squash it onto, the, onto it so it would mould the shape of the screw. So and then, then I unscrewed got... them. So I had the metal end, you no, know, like the, the metal end of it yeah. instead. So I had it behind my back and I, I, I sort of, when they come to the door, went, boo, and they've all jumped back. And they stood there and I was going, hey, come and get it. I said, listen very carefully. I said, if I was going to do something, your head had all, I'd already caved your skull in. I said, this is just a warning. Stop winding me up. Finally, one of them come got it. Within five, ten minutes, I just heard a van, a cat ear van, reversing up. And I was took from Durham Prison into a top security prison, Franklin, full, uh, Franklin. Went there, took straight to the segregation unit because I was still under the prison officer. So every prison I went, I was still on charges with stabbing the prison officers. So every prison I went, it was You're straight to the You're going to get shit, aren't you? Oh, I got hammered. Straight to the seg. It was all right at first, and then they started winding me up, and I thought, sack it, let's go to the war. And when you say winding you up, what did they specifically just do? Just doing there? stuff like turning your lights on and off, uh, when you're going to sleep, banging your door, keeping you awake. Head games. Just playing with your mind, you know what I mean? 
and then and just wine just doing stuff. So I just thought, you know what, sack it, let's go. And then I ended up um battling on a daily basis with the, they would come in with they would put ballies on, so I didn't know who they were. So I couldn't retaliate and stuff and that they'd come in with ballies on and just six or seven of them with a the right gear, I'd be laid on on my bed, just fast asleep, they'd just come running in, boom, handcuffed like you can fight for so long, doesn't matter who you are. Only, you can only fight six, seven men in riot shields uh, for so long before the, you, you, you're knackered and you have to get down. That's you know what they do? right now. They got me down and they'd handcuff me. And when they ha- had me <coughs> handcuff me, then they'd go up, do stuff. Like one of them, I'll tell you one occasion what happened. This one time I was in a camera cell and they said to me, right, come out. And I used to go through a process because I ended up on a, as a CSC prisoner in the close supervision circuit. But not on the unit or anything. It's where you're going from like seg to seg in the in the top security prison, and you go in these cells where they've got a hatch. So you have it's twenty three hours bang up. When they open your door, you have to you be six or seven. Like yeah, that. you have to be six or seven. Yeah. No, no, you have to be six or seven prison officers in ride gear, or they can't open your door. And 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 then you have to go through a process. So I'd have to lie on the floor and put my hands up before they open the door. Then they'd slam the door open. Then it'd be up, they'd put the shield to the door. Then they'd come. Put the shield on your back, uh, tell you to put your hands off your head, and then a man with riot gear on that side would search your body, and he would search you. Then they'd run to the back, back to the door, and then they'd say, "Right, stand up slowly." If you went fast at any time, they'd be on you. So you slowly got to get up, and then slowly walk back till your back touches the, then you uh, the shield. Then they'd step back, then they'd step to shield. Then you step aside, the then they push you up against the wall, and you'd be searched again. And that was just to go on the exercise yard. Then you'd have to walk backwards as slow as you possibly can until you got to the exercise yard. Then they'd get you to the exercise yard, tell you to lay down. You'd lay down on the floor, put your hands on your head, and then they'd shout, go, 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 and everyone would just run. But I would try and get up to, and, and run at them. So as soon as the shield was off me, I would get up. You and didn't I would do run. yourself any favours, did you, Mary? I hate the system. I didn't do myself yeah. any favours at all. In fact... I come to the realisation that what was I expecting? Listen, I used to believe every time I come into crime, it's their fault he grasped me up, it's his fault, oh, he's this, oh, it's the prison officer's fault he locks the door. No, I committed the crime. So I'm in jail because I put myself in jail, it's not their fault. Now, here's another thing, I experienced a lot of brutality, like I'm talking about, like, serious brutality. And what was the, and what was the worst brutality? One of them was, uh, they got me in a... It took, like I was saying, I went through that process, and they said to me this one time, and I didn't click at first. They said, go into the next room, next cell, we're going to search your script searcher. So I go to the next cell, and I go to the back wall, and I'm stood there for a couple of seconds, and I just thought, this isn't right. And all of a sudden, the shield just went bang off my back. And, and what they counted on is to grab my hands, because as soon as my hands touched the wall, they, had, they were there, they had all of my arm. Man with right gear there, one with right gear there. But what they didn't count on was me not taking my hands off the wall and slide my hands down the wall. Uh. So I slid my hands down the wall, turned, grabbed one of the legs and picked them up and fell with them. Then I pushed with my legs. These are all beating me up, kicking me. And they pushed me into the le- into the, I pushed them into the corner with my legs and we're in between a metal toilet and the door. He's got his right gear on. And I remember these are boot me, pull it, they have a thing of pulling your head back, grabbing your throat, and making it so you can't breathe, 
And then just as you think you're going to die, they'll let go to get you a bit of breath and you go, <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll you get again. that feeling like you're drowning, where your body goes into a panic. But they were trying to do all sorts to get me off, and which I get, I understand that. But I remember getting my hands, I, blank, I, black, I blanked all that out, and I had my hands so far up his shield on his thing. And all I remember doing is looking at him, and I just said, I just whispered to him and said, do not let me get my hands on your neck today because you were not going to home to see your family. And he started panicking. And so did the other officers. And then they started kicking me all over. And then what happened is finally you give up. You, can't, you can only go so far. Uh, and then they put the handcuffs on me. And I sort of wished I carried on fighting because they put the handcuffs on me and they tortured me for days. Absolutely tortured me. I mean, like... Just, just coming in, batting me all, and calling me a coward. So while I'm handcuffed on the floor, Shit's out. they're all coming in, doing all this. About ten of them, and I'm, I'm handcuffed, and I'm the coward. Yeah, crazy enough. Right, fully grown men, ten of them, and they would come in and just beat me to a pulp. You know what I mean? Punch me all over, and they would just um, another thing, food. So they would get like the food. They would come and just chuck it on the floor. Just leave you there, handcuffed for days on end, and that you can't do out. You can't get up, cut because they put them on my feet as well. Put them on my back. Shouldn't you see can't you as a dog. Well, that's you're the getting way. punished. For, you're punished for was actually being in there, and that's it. They should treat you as a human being. In Walton, what they used to do is they'd mufti squad you. If you were being an asshole, they'd literally put you in a cell, and they'd have you know the little thin mattresses they have. Yeah, but... they'd have a couple of them. They'd roll you up in them and they'd fucking beat the shit out of you. And basically what it did was... It's made me worse. bruise all your insides, but you don't actually see the bruises on the outside, don't you? Yeah. All it did with me is made me worse. And it just set... All that just made... They're just the enemy now. And I just went through this process of every single time my door opened, we were fighting. And in the end, they were coming to me and saying... Look, at the, they're not going to break me, this is what I thought. You're not breaking me. I'd hear, like, fully grown men who were meant to be faces down south and all that and, and, and like, screaming like girls and then that's it. That's like that I'm do- but me, it would make me angry. I'd go to the door and go, what are you doing, you idiot? You're showing us up. And I would just, they'd come in and, like, try and, you know, do the chicken, try and yeah, twist yeah, you up. The and they would, and I wouldn't make a noise. Look, it would kill. Inside, I was like, ah! Do you know what I mean? But not one, not I would stay as calm as possible. And they would beat me and I would stay calm. And they started sending psychiatrists. They were coming to the door and saying, there's something wrong with you. Like, we can't break you. And I was like, you'll never break me. Come on, it's what? Like, I was in my own mental mind, my own mental state. And, and then from then, I remember going to Wakefield um, segregation. I went into Wakefield. So I went from Franklin, uh, then Full Sutton, Whitemore. Long like these are all the top security prisons in the in the our estate at the time because they obviously changed sometimes, and I just um, I remember going to the White Moors a hellhole in it. I've never been, but I've heard White Moors. I like White Moors. It's got a gym on the wing and everything, man. Oh, the gym and that. Yeah, I liked it. And you you can in the dispersal system. Listen to this in the maximum security prison, right? And anyone who's been in a top security prison will know this. You can only go to the office and hire out a nine inch kitchen blade and walk around the wing. Because you can cook on the wing. So they've got cookers. You've got like a, a kitchen on your wing in a multi-gym. In, in Whitemore, a multi-gym. You go and train when you want. You cook and all the lads cook. You can order pots and pans. and Do you know what I mean? That's fucking mad. But you can go and order. There's like 
they've got like three or four for a wing or a, like two nice and people are walking around you're in a top security prison right can you imagine the tension just off that you're in a top security prison right and full of killers gangsters gang members and the walk you can walk around in a, with a nine inch kitchen blade will people get they were warming by swillers. Yeah, I know. They were water and the sugar boiled. Well, it started off you were allowed oil. Until oh, a, fucking hell. Until a prison officer got swilled with oil and got his face melted off. Yeah. And then he banned oil. So what the lads do now is they make what you call ghee. And so you get loads of butter. You mm-hmm. buy a load of butter, just put the butter in, you melt it, and then you pour all the bad out and you've got oil. There's oil and butter in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they use that to pick, they start swilling people with that. Or the sugar and water, because the sugar sticks, so sticks. it's worse for your skin. But the main one in the dispersals was oil. So when, this is what's funny, so when someone had start walking, because um, in Whitemore all the, the tables are on the, the bottom floor, and everyone would just be sat mingling around. This is the tension, right? If you, a lad started walking down the stairs and he had a pan, the whole landing would disappear. Everyone would go behind the doors. Yeah, and we used to, anyway. <laughs> you, you just look through the gap. I used to just look through so the gap. Just swilled. wait for who's going past. And I think, oh, it's not me. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the tension, what it used to be. And I met some really big people in the, in the dispersal prisons, or like powerful, like big faces and stuff. Do you mean shit slingers too? In America, oh, you met, know a lot of shit slingers. Yeah. Well, I didn't meet, there was only Pacific people I so, associated with because yeah. I just, I didn't take drugs. I didn't do anything. So I was on the ball. I'd just keep myself to myself. If it came to me, then I would do something. But it's mainly my battle was against the system and officers setting me up. And I'm surprised some of the main heads didn't put you on a payroll though to go and collect for them. No, I, it was because it's not like that in the dispersal. See, I, See, the dispersal maximum security prisons are very different. And so you, you don't have a, a one hard man who stands out. You don't have a one crazy man who stands out. They're all crazy. They're all capable. <laughs> They're all different. Everyone, there's, all a ten, there's a tension. Yeah. Everybody knows that everyone's capable of doing stuff. And you, an example, the way I can explain it. Get more respect it. that way, you go, wait, No, because the way to explain it is this. So you've got Newcastle. Yeah. There's a few hard lads from Newcastle. A few faces from Newcastle, and they're in a maximum security prison on the wing. Yeah. But then you'll have faces from Manchester and big boys from Manchester who are on the wing, Red and car, Liverpool, and so it's full of hard everywhere. cases, and it's full of people who who oh, it doesn't matter who you are if you if you challenge them they're going to battle you. Yeah. So it's, that's not how it works. It's just like everyone's in it. You you get on with your jail, and if you have to, then you deal with whatever comes your way. But nine times out of ten, people are getting on. People are just living, you no know, cooking together. Getting on a bit, you get the odd idiot who come on, uh, and and sometimes they'll get told, you know, keep, you know, chill out. You know, you're not in a young lads, yeah. yeah. You're not in a daft jail now. You'll end up getting yourself sorted out, and then everyone just chills out. But when it does kick off, it kicks off. So you've just got local, basically, see it like this: local hard lads and local faces from all over the country, all stuck in one pot. Yeah. So it's not like a person who's like, oh, look at him, stands out, oh, he's dangerous. People don't do that in the dispersal. Everyone's dangerous. Exactly, yeah. So there's a different, like, mentality. No one could come to me and try and take out off me, but no one could go to most people and try and take. You do get the odd divs who you can who could be bullied and intimidated, but it's just full of lifers, full of faces, full of, well, not when I was in, but the IRA, there's people like that who were in. Especially I don't get fucked up, to be fair, like. Don't get? Fucked up, the IRA. 
no, there were. Pop- I wasn't in when they were fully in. I was only in when there was a few splinter group people. It'd be powerful because like. they had the they had the. Um, well, what I've heard there were because they were the, the taught solidarity and they stuck together and there was lots of yeah. them and 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 the, and what they could do on, on the outside as well. So even prison officers would tell me that the IRA like they'd be out drinking and they'd be approached by two people and you know what I mean. If you keep intimidating, blah blah blah, we're going to shoot you dead and stuff. So this is from officers who've told me this themselves. And your family's dead. Yeah, it? and stuff like that. So, yeah. but I never. It was a. There was a peace talks that went on just before the Good Friday thing won there, and all the IRA were released. But there was a few splinter group ones who were in there who didn't agree with the peace talks, and they were still bombing and that at the time. And a few of them were in. So yeah, met loads crazy people. But so early on, you said you met our mate Stephen, who we interviewed recently, Stevie Gillen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, he described the atmosphere how you just described it. Yeah, just tension. But how did you? being a paranoid person then with that tension how did your paranoia didn't it feed the paranoia no because I was a bit sensible I think there was a lad who come in right and he was a, a big he was from uh, Nottingham way he's called Michael Westwood actually I'm trying to find Michael Westwood so if you see this try and find me in uh, up north Middlesbrough I live no, we'll, but, we'll have all your contact details <laughs> in the description box if people but, want to um, contact you. So basically, uh, I met up with this lad, Michael Westwood, and he was having trouble with two gang gangs, one called the Johnsons and one called the Burger Bars. And Michael was in jail for supplying guns, and he got caught with a factory making bullets and all that. So he was looking, he got a big stretch, but he was massive, and he was having trouble, and I remember going up to him and teaming up, and I just went up and walked into the cell. I said, I've noticed you've got trouble with everyone. I says, uh, you have my back and I'll have yours. He went, what oh, do you mean that? I says, listen, mate, I said, I've got your back. I said, but have you got mine? He said, yeah, I've got your back. From then on, we were like that. Mm. So we're never away, you know what I mean? And he was like, you think I'm big? He was like 22 stone or something, solid, like just a big lad, half-cast lad, just absolutely massive, gamers, gamers can be. You know, he's like, we nearly had a fight with the officers and that over a Rocky Biscuit. You know, that's how game he is. Because we went to the server room. Like, yeah. But no, well, it's it's a principle. <laughs> yeah. Everyone had got served on the survey. We went there last because we were a bit late. And it was like, where's my biscuit? Everyone else has had one. You know what I mean? You can't let them take the mick like that because they'll keep doing it. So he was like, where's my biscuit? And there was a big, massive standoff over a Rocky Biscuit, chocolate Rocky Biscuit. <laughs> oh, my dad. People who serve on the savouries, though, they sense it out like it's their fucking food. Yeah, I know. You know I, right? know, I know. Crazy, isn't it? So how did the standoff play out? Well, just it played out with uh, this uh, prison officer from the block was on and he didn't realise. Because when they're on the block, they individually can deal with you, you see. When you're on the wing, it's the wing. So what happened was is he said to him, do you know who I am as an officer? And that Michael Westwood was like, he got mad and he went into his face. He went, do you know who I am? And then like all the other inmates come flying behind us because there's a little bit of like everyone sticks together in yeah. that sense. And then all the officers come. And it was like a standoff for a bit, and then they calmed down and started saying, "Right, everybody, back back to the wing, please." And they made a line, and like we were walking through like a a line of them all, no staring at us, probably thinking, "Yeah, gonna get it, you, you know." And uh, went through, and that was it. Really, they didn't. We were expecting to get took to the second that, and they didn't. They didn't. All they had to do was go and get the fucking rocky biscuits to Dafco. So basically, I teamed up with Pacific people who I knew had me back, and they had mine. 
and and that was it and uh, and we would just be together at all times and the tension was that big for us and we'd be that paranoid so the paranoia was still there but when you know someone's looking after you so this is how bad it was when we were in the gym training if anyone come walking towards the, the bench we'd have to say someone's coming and we'd put the bench down we'd stand up and wait for them going past like it was just like little things we had was it free weights? yeah free weights yeah like proper as if you're in the gym on the out uh, and, and that was it then I met that who you just said um, I'd I wasn't really friends in that sense. Like, I didn't get to know him like I did Steve. Michael. But Stevie Gillen, he was like, uh, how I met him was, uh, he must have some money, the lad. Because I had a lot of money saved up in my canteen. And uh, he basically, <laughs> he come to me and said, look, he said, I'll send you £200 for £100. That's how we first ever, like, sort of chatted. He approached me with a, a baldy-looking, tough-looking lad. Look, look like a fight. I think he's called John James from London. I think he's a traveller. I don't know, so I couldn't say, but John James' name was. And uh, he's well-known, meant to be a face and stuff. And they both just approached me, and he was just like, look, you know, you want a little deal? I've heard you've got loads of money on your canteen. He says, uh, I'll send you £200 in a week if you just get me £100 canteen. Sweet. I thought, well, I'm not going to turn that down, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we did that for a little bit, and then I got chipped out, and then... I re-met him again in a different prison and stuff like that, but that's... Just a few things for the viewers then. Um, we've done a f- over a three-hour podcast with Stephen Gillen. It's in the True Crime Podcast playlist. Um, go down and check it out. Chet Sandu was co-interviewing on that one as well, down south. Um, it was a real laugh. It was a real good energy. And you mentioned... Um, Shane mentioned the Burger Bar Boys... We interviewed ex-undercover cop Neil Woods, who's campaigning to reverse the war on drugs. He's doing good work now. He, We've got a clip on the channel about the Burger Bar Boys. He's explaining how he um, went undercover and uh, the, the kind of stuff they did, because they were really notorious, weren't they? Yeah, they were, yeah. So there's a lad in there called China. I don't know which side he was on. He was nicknamed China as well. So if any of the Birmingham people don't know who I'm on about when I say China. So he was in. he got done for killing a police officer. So they were a bit like game. And at the time as well, I'm sure two two girls were killed from drive-by shooting. It was big on the news. Yeah. So all that was going on at the time as well. And I don't know what his beef was, Michael Westwood's beef. He was a big lad. He was a gun supplier. Um, and he, I don't know what his beef was, but he was always having beef with them. But it was like a beef where they three or four gang members were running in and he was chasing them back out and chasing them down the landing. Because <laughs> he's like twenty odd stone, game really tough lad, game. So any time they were trying to attack him, he was always getting the better of better of them. Couldn't take him one on one. Couldn't. Though. Well, they couldn't even. There was three or four of them. They end up running out. <laughs> yeah. And I would hear of this. He'd go to another jail, and three or four lads would run in his cell, like gang members would run in his cell, trying to attack him. And he'd come running out with his top ripped off, chase them, chase them down the landing. So he's a he's he's meant to be a proper. Uh, I'm sure people who's been involved in that life, if they watch this, they'll, they'll know who Michael him. Westwood is. They'll know who he is. The Burger Bar Boy. I've never heard of that. I don't know about them. It's all drug gangs now that take over everything. Lad. Have you liked the ice cream ones? Michael O'Brien. That was a Glasgow old school uh, one. A lad called Michael O'Brien. Michael O'Brien. Uh, 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 I met up with a, I was chatting with him, met up with a lad called uh, Billy Tobin, an old man. And he used to do yoga. <laughs> he used to go on the exercise yard and sit there all the way at, on, in a handstand for an hour. Seriously? Just in a handstand, not even, if you went even, he'd go, yoga. 
You know what I mean? You're like, oh, he's lost to him. You do that, don't you? <laughs> so I've met, I have met a lot. I tell you, I met who like, like infamous, you'd say, kind of thing. Is that that Black Panther? A Black Panther man. Which one's that? He's the one who he, he was. He was doing all robberies. It was, it, there's a documentary on that real crime thing. What uh, Kenny Noyle? I didn't meet him in the sense of chatting, but I'd said well, he would used to walk around the. In Whitemore, he was on the exercise yard in Whitemore. I've seen a documentary about him on Vice. Which one's that, Kenny, Kenneth, Kenneth Noyle? Yeah. So him, he's a big, big, there was loads of people. What what crimes did the Black Panther done? So what he'd done is he did loads of robberies, and at the end he kidnapped a young lass, and he tied her up under this thing, and it all went wrong. He, he, he demanded a ransom, a million pound ransom, I don't know, a big ransom. But what he didn't realise is she'd slipped or something had happened and she, when they went back, he, she was dead. Mm. So like, And then he kept, kept doing robberies and doing mad stuff and they called him the Black Panther. Uh, I don't know why, but I don't know what that's all about. Obviously the IRA, just think of every criminal you can think of. They're all in the dispersal prison, really. Charles Bronson, did you have any... Charles Bronson is... So when I was going through the CSC stage of going from sec to sec, I went in Wakefield, so there's levels... So he'll have been in Wakefield uh, unit, but the thing is, you don't see him. You don't see it's it's isolate. You you're isolated off. It's different. Yeah. And so the one I was in, so he'll have been in the full cage. I think he's in the one where it'll have been like a cell and the full cage inside. But I was in the one where it's because um, there's like stages. So he's a prison within a prison. Yeah. Right. No, because how that works is you've got a prison within a prison, then isolation within the prison within a prison. Yeah, so so yeah. so it's like so I was in uh, the, in the segregation bit where they had like it. So in a normal prison, you've got your cell door, haven't you? And then you've got your your cell door, and then in the one I was in, you've got a cell door. So you'll, they would open that door. Then you've got a cage door as well, so bars. And then the next level would be like, and there's all levels. But Charlie's it's a prison unit, and that that's for the like. Very serious people, and you don't have to be violent. So you can get more violent to people in a dispersal prison. Yeah, who's not on a unit, but ten times more violent there than people who are on the unit. So you can go on the unit just You're simply, psychopaths. No, you can go on the unit simply because of how high profile of a Ian Huntley. He's nothing, and in fact, he'd be in danger if he went in the, in, on the normal wings. But he would have to go on a unit simply because his crime's so high profile yeah. that he has to be kept away from people. Um, and that's how it is. You don't have to be. It just Or you could be top, top mafia boss or a, a top, top criminal. So it's not necessarily violent. It's, it's just who, like you are, who you what, are. Who's your status? Have you got military? You could be a multi-billionaire and go on it because you've got the money yeah. to have people have your escape. So you would go in, into a unit. So it's not necessarily for who, how crazy you are. And there's, um, yeah, so basically, yeah. They thought me and Sean had So like I haven't personally basically <laughs> met Charlie. I've personally met Charlie Bronson and stuff like that, but I've been on the the sort of wings. He'll have been there and stuff like that, but you don't see. Because when your door gets opened up, you're on your own. Can't you get a job? Can't, can't you like work in the kitchen or? Well, I I couldn't get in a porter clean. Whatever. I was on const, I was in a seg. I was segregated off for six year, five or six year. Yeah. On my own, battling. The, imagine what that does to your mental health. 
battling the prison officers daily. You made that six to seven probably like twenty fucking years, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It spared me. I enjoyed it. No, in the in the end, you, it, it's you get used to it. And when I was getting ghosted out all the time from prison to prison, you get bored with your prison. When you sat in the same prison for years and end, it gets boring. Yeah. So when they were moving me every couple of months, it was like, oh, buzzing. It was like, oh, back in here. But the worm put me on the wings and they were using excuses up all the time. They were using loads of excuses up not to let me on the wing. So I'd go into prison and they legally, if you've done nothing in that jail, they should be putting you on the on the wing. And you prove yourself in there. If you want to be an idiot, then you go back down. I was going straight from one prison, straight from the seg. I was met, Wakefield, the tough them though. They try and intimidate you. So I was met coming off the van. They had shields. They were pinging me in, into the wing with shields all the way onto the wing. And they, they were behind the shields and they had the chungeons and they were going, yeah. And me, idiot, I was going, yeah, like handcuffed up. Because you, you get yourself in a mindset. Like, you're never going to beat the system, but I can understand where Charlie Bronze, like, why he's in jail and he's never going to get out. Because he, they, they put you in a mindset where you just get yourself into this war with them and they hurt you and destroy you and brutalise you that much. Did you ever that get in the to end, you just want revenge. If you, you can want... get one of them, you'll get them. Do you ever get to where you just wanted to grease yourself up and go fight with the cop? Done all that. Yeah, with the shampoo and um, butter. <laughs> and that, Well, what I was... And that, that's actually, I've actually mentioned that in my book. Yeah. There was a time when what I did is I um, put butter all over myself and I, I got shampoo, put it all over the floor, screws come running in and they were all over the place and it made me fight last longer with them. And in fact, they were pulling each other out, you know, because they're like, we're all over. So they were pulling each to get out yeah. and I'm at the door. Yeah. So this is how crazy. No, that's in my, actually in my book. Everybody, all people... Any criminal who's been through the system who have fought against the officers will have done that. Guaranteed. Charlie Bronson, I don't know, any other, probably Stevie. I don't know if he's went through the system like that, but he'll probably be able to tell you that all the inmates do that, butter themselves up and, and like... Um, they should have to grab or anything, done it? Yeah, just slip you. off when the shield, because the shield's plastic, isn't it? <laughs> so it just hits you and goes... And you're like, I jump on him. You're jumping on top of them and, you know, just fight and battle. And it's just, that's the way the system is. That's that's the way it is if you go down that route. And it's, it, you imagine this, it's a bit like trying to, it's getting one. If you can beat one little one, even if you get one of them out, one of them out of 20 battles you have, you've got one of them and you feel like there's a victory. Do you know what I mean? I got you. Ha, do you know what I mean? It's like. Uh, the, and it's the stuff what goes on. It's the talk, It's the handcuffing you up, and while you're handcuffed, like the, the and I don't just. I don't mean a little slap. You know, I mean like Beat coming up. in and doing dodgy stuff, and like just doing stuff, and like coming in and grabbing your throat and doing it for about half an hour though. So your body's going into a panic, and I, there's been times where I have felt that they're going to kill us, and I've stopped, wrote letters to my mum saying, "Mum, if I'm ever found hanged, not saying the wood." Yeah. But in my head, the things that was happening, I'd write letters to my mum to say, Mum, if I'm ever hanged, if I'm ever found dead, I never killed myself. These have done it. I will never kill myself. Keep that in mind, you know. And I would have letters sent out like that. That must be a horrible feeling, that, though. You, you see, like, like so, you're drowning. So you see, like, that water torch, you know, they put a rag on it. It is, yeah. Put a fucking thing. That's what they were but, doing. God. So they'd do it, and just as you think you're going out and your body's panicking, they'd let go. 
and you'd go and before you could get a breath to do it again they kept doing it to me for ages absolutely ages I fucking hate that man it's one, scary it's one of the most scary things to drown as well yeah. no you can't breathe I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and <sighs> because I've got like I think it's a sleep apnea or something it's called and sometimes I don't breathe while I'm sleeping I could go on for ages and then I just wake up and go <gasps> And get me breath, you know what I mean? I'm not dying around. I don't know what it is. But it's just like fucking... It's a horrible feeling, though. And that's what they did to me for a long... They did it. And did it. And do you know what? How did you get used to it? Well, you don't get used to it. How did you cope with it? Realise that... Thinking of how can I get them back next time this door opens. Wow, man. You were hardcore, weren't you, really? it's, it's, It's... I don't know. I was just mentally ill. And when they were doing what they were doing to me, it was making me more hate them. Like, they would beat me, which would probably make most men cry, even tough men. But I wouldn't make a noise out of them. They started sending psychiatrists. And it wasn't that it wasn't hurting me. It was that I so hated them. I thought, I'm not giving them the satisfaction of hearing me scream like a girl. You'd hear fully grown men, I've heard, honestly, I've heard fully grown men screaming. They're meant to be gangsters outside, screaming their heads off, off a kicking off them. And I'm like, I've been down the seg. For nearly a year, suffered it on a daily basis and I haven't heard a noise. I've heard them scream where they've just been chicken-winged. Yeah, you know what I mean? that's what I mean. They're like, yeah. ah! like girls as well, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Isn't it? Because them officers will be like, ah, can you imagine them going in the office? Yeah. Uh, did you hear them there flipping like they could be screaming like a girl, you know, giggling about it. So I wouldn't do that. The only way I can say it is you get so stuck in a rut of revenge and them hating you and you hating them, that you lose track. You don't even want to get out. All you're thinking about is the next time, can I get them? And then I even started thinking, right, so I had the gear on, so I started thinking, right, I know what I'll do. Play calm, relax, and be nice. And then the the, the tactics would lower down, so the, then they'd come without the shield. They'd get them to work. So I was like, oh, I'm being good, haven't I? It's been two weeks now. And they'd be like, yeah, we'll take the pads off there. And I would wait until I got right down and I'd start attacking them again. You know what I mean? Knock one of them and hit one of them or do something like that. So I was in Franklin Seg when it was an in, he was known as a police informant called Paul Deer. And he was found hanged. And there was a big investigation into why, how, how he was hanged. And I was in the um, Seg then. And there's a thing on YouTube where he's like actually... To going through the process, what I'm go, I go through, but my process, if you were to watch it, was ten times worse than his. So even if you just look at how he was going out, think twenty times worse than that. Yeah, uh, do you know what I mean? It's just like I don't know. I can't explain. All I can say is um, that was my life. It was uh, not a good place to be, uh, and you're in a dark place as well. See, everything was a mask. So when you're on the wing and you're walking around the wing and you 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 put a mask on and that you're just in a diff. It's all a mask, you know what I mean? Everything was a mask, and, and, and I was just full of hate, full of anger. He tested the system, and if I never changed, I think I'd have probably got out because I was thinking of killing people. Like, when I was in jail, I was think, scared to get out, and I was thinking, right, I'll, I had a list. How long ago was that, like when you had that list? 11 years ago, before I got okay. out of jail. Um, for people watching this, you mentioned his book. His book is called Shane, and the link to that is in the description box below this video. Shane, I've sat here listening to these stories and this is some of the most insane, craziest, gripping, hard-hitting stories I've ever heard. 
And we've had a lot of people on this channel, man. Yeah, I remember. This is, I'm, I'm just sat here like, what is he going to say next? Yeah. I'm sure the viewers are thinking that as well. I'm, I'm sure loads are going to want to down, go down into the description box, click over, buy your book, and get like even more details and even more crazy stories. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, next question is then, you said, it says here you classify as in the six most dangerous prisoners. So, did the Home Office have a list of six? And would like Charles Bronson be in that, for example? I don't know what. See, probably Charlie Bronson's obviously going to be on, on that. Yeah. But it's a list of. Um, so what happens is I only. Do you know how I found this out? Oh. When I changed, and I bumped, I, I went and did my testimony, and I bumped into a, a home a man who worked for the Home Office, and he come up to me all excited, said he couldn't believe that he, he couldn't believe that he'd um, that had changed, and he said he used to sit on a board. So every year, the Home Office have a board, sit on a board, ah. and assess the top six most dangerous prisoners in the country, in the UK. And they'll assess it, right, what we're going to do with them, how we're going to deal with this, what do we do? And they have this meeting once a year on what the home, how the Home Office is going to deal with these people and what they're going to do. And he said to me, you were on, and your name was always on, while you were in on that top six uh, list. Now, where that was, I don't know. But they do assess the top six... On the, uh, in the home office and stuff like that. And this is what he was saying to me. And then after that, I would have like people approaching me and, and, and just, and that's where everything sort of stemmed off from them. But I didn't even know. See, I thought it was a normal, <laughs> people laugh when I say this, but I thought it was normal. I, like, I, you know, I, now I know, now looking back, stabbing people through the head, kill, trying to kill people and daydreaming about killing people and battling the system and stabbing two prison officers. You were as bad as a box of frogs, mate. Well, you it's not normal. normal. It's, it's normal, not but, normal. I, but at, the, at the time, I thought I was. And people used to say to me, there's something wrong with you, you're mad. And it would confuse me. I'd say, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Because I think I'm normal. Yeah. See, this is the problem when someone's mentally ill. A proper mentally Ill, Ill person doesn't realise that they're mentally ill. Real. Those who realise they're mentally ill, how are they realising to, to be mentally ill? I don't understand that, but like a proper full-on if you're mentally ill. You don't realise it. I just thought it was like everybody else and didn't get why people were saying I was mad. I can understand now I, now I am. Now I know I was. What's the, what's the worst injuries you've ever sustained in your entire life? Broke me toe when I kicked the curb. When I, um, oh, probably is the, when the screw's done that to me. Yeah. It's about it, really. Like when they were getting all these beatings, did they get your ribs That's and stuff? That's just bruises, just daft things, uh cut on my back and my head I've got a, I don't know if you can see it but I should have a where they smash my head with a chungeon and split my head open so you can see my skull I don't know if you can see it but there might be a scar somewhere on the back yeah, of my I head see it, yeah what, what was the story behind that just everyday thing just fighting the officers so when I charged them and got them started winning them one of them ran behind me smashing across the head with a chungeon and I found out afterwards legally they're not meant to do that but meant now to me. I'm just a scumbag criminal, so it didn't matter. But um, that was it. It was just that was my life on a, all the time. I was always fighting the prison system, and I was always battling. Uh, see, I got because it started off all this stemmed from being picked on and bullied until I was about 16, 17 year old, and then I just got sick of it. Even when I first went to prison as a young offender, I got bullied and taxed and all that stuff. And then after that, I just, I just something happened in my mind. I thought it's never going to happen again. And then I would fight back and get a big game, and then mental health kicked in, and then that just changed everything. Sorts of people who've done young offenders, 
and they were like when he first went in they were scared and they'd have the trainees took off them and all that or there was one guy who'd, he was waiting to use the phone and some guy said to him oh can you borrow your card and used all his phone card and just give it him back empty and he said but then the next time he went in it was a real prison and he thought no that, that's not going to happen to me again yeah. And he beat the shit out of the person who even tried to do it. Because everyone will try. When you first get in there, you've always got that idiot who's going to try and fucking yeah. test you and see how you react. You know what I mean? And if you react like a div, then everyone treats you like a div. Well, 90% of people fucking do. They just roll yeah. over. Yeah. Oh, okay, you're going to be true. Yeah, I wouldn't tell. <laughs> so how bad did the bullying get in the early years then? Oh, well, it was that bad that when I was in school. I remember the lads saying, oh, you can come and play with us. And I was getting really excited, ran towards them. When I went towards them to play with them, turned around, punched me in the face, popped my nose open. Bastards. Um, and, and that's why I think I started, because I used to burgle houses and steal and stuff. Yeah. And be a little robber like that and pinch cars. And in the early 90s, it was really big for people joyriding and doing stuff like that. And uh, a base, uh, I just fitted in with them. They didn't bully me as much. Even though I got bullied off them, it wasn't as much as all the other people. So just try to fit in with everyone, really, I guess. And then just... You know, and just something, do you know when you just get sick and tired of people taking the mick out of you? And I just thought, nah, I've had enough. And I even remember saying... The thing is, they probably weren't, though. Might have just been in your head. What's that for, the... Like, people taking the mick? No, 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 they, they, they were taking the mick all the time. Out me and Like, even the older lads would, like, if there was a house and the, there was a little window... They'd like use me to get through the big talk the big yeah, window for them. Yeah. And if we got like a thousand pound cash, they'd give me a hundred pound and they'd have nine hundred and stuff. Just yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm the div who's buzzing because I'm a kid, but so hundred pounds is still then, yeah. buzzing. But when you look back on it all, that's all you ever done, all of them. It, you know, it all just picked on me and you bullied should. me. Yeah, and when I was older, none of them would dare. Well, I don't know about now because I'm I'm different. But when I started getting a bit nuts, then. They couldn't and they wouldn't dare. So that was the first crimes then, like car theft and uh, breaking in places? Cars, burgling houses, pinching cars, robbing, robbing people. Scumbag. What was your first arrest? Probably a burglary. So you went to Young Offenders for that? I went into, I got, I went to Aircliffe Secure Unit when I was, uh, I think I was 15 or 14 and I was the first person in the North East to get Section 50 freed at the time. How do you manage that? Section 53 is when you, you've done a crime. What If you're under a certain age, you couldn't get over two years. But if the Section 53 you, it meant they could give you over a two-year sentence and it was for aggravated burglary. So I had a burglar house and I had a knife when the police officer come. <laughs> this was when I was about 14 and the police officer come and pulled a nine-inch knife out on him. Like my favourite knife. I pulled my nine-inch knife on him and tried to stab him and when I was being interviewed he said oh you didn't mean to try and do that I said I did and I said why and I said because uh, I wanted to kill him and so they looked at each of them and went well I says and then I just looked and went dead serious I was 14 I didn't realize what I was saying though yeah I was just trying to I didn't realize what I was saying but they took it dead serious and and I just remembered and I went dead serious in the interview I'm only 14 15 and I just looked I went one day I'm going to kill a police officer. And they were like, you don't mean that, do you? And this is on the interview. I went, no, I mean it. 
said, one day I'm going to kill a police officer. And then I just, I didn't say it that, that I meant it. I was just a kid. They should have given you help with and then though, really. But in the early, it's a bit like, for example, when, like now, they're, they're, they're sussing out like people who've got uh, dis, who are dyslexic. Yeah. But back years ago, People who were dyslexic, dyslexic, it was just you like, just you're dumb, you can't, yeah, yeah, you're just a daft idiot, you're dumb and stupid and you're being made a laughing stock out of. Yeah, exactly. So, time's gone on, maybe that would be the case, but back then in the early 90s, it wasn't like that. You didn't get no help for that, it was just like, oh, he's just another little naughty kid who was on the street and that was it. In America, I was classed as bipolar, but um, since I've been out, I've been fine. Don't see red dots and nothing no more. Right. Back then I did like. But... Are you meant to see dots and that like when you've got it? Yeah, well I don't know. I used to just see. You know, like you say, you'd start and you'd blank out. Yeah. And then you'd stop. Eventually you'd stop, and then you just like it's like a red mist just goes over your eyes, and it clears up. But um, that's how I used to be. But now nothing makes me that angry. Yeah. I, I sort of been there, seen it, done it, and. It's a lot easier to talk your way out of it. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't go out. <laughs> it's another good thing. I sit in the house fucking lot. Because I think to myself, if I go in a pub, someone says something. Yeah, I might. I don't have fucking woolen. So, like, I might as well just fucking, you know, sit and have a few beers and chill. Yeah, that's why I don't drink and I get worried that, like, people will start. Because for me, it's not the starting, it's the months of overthinking it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll unsettle me and it'll, it'll unsettle my mind. And then instead of being in peace, I'm sat there for two or three years. Fight is to fight, though. At the end of the day, if you just have a fight, you take it. But not when you can't. Co- even even though I've changed, I still have this. I can cope with it and I can't. I don't react on it. But I still struggle. Yeah. And if people mug me off, I still feel like I still feel the same. I still have the same struggle and it still lasts for a long time. I just, for some reason, know how to cope with it. Why, I know. But for some reason, I know how to cope with it now and I don't act on it. And and I hope and pray that it stays like that and it never, ever changes and, and never goes back where I do feel like sack it and I just think sack the world and back to that person. Because if it does happen, then I'll have... My list comes back. you got a lady now as well, though. Yeah, yeah, I love it a bit, yeah. And I've got me, me five and kids as well. Kids, yeah. But it still doesn't stop when someone mugs you off. Sitting there and six or seven months down, and that's what bothers me, because the people who did who did wind you up are out. They're the ones who they'll go off and forget about you within a day. Yeah, you're still sat probably there, drunk two years down the line about thinking about it. And you're yeah, stewing on it, stewing, stewing on it. every like, and that's what kind of mentality I've got. But I'm out the court with it, and 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 I've I've changed, and it's been eleven years, and I've never committed a crime since. That's good. So eleven years, you know what I mean. I've been married in that eleven years. I've um, got five kids in that eleven years. You know what I mean. It's just a totally different lifestyle altogether. So I go in the pub now and again with your mates, but you, you tend to stay out of danger zones, don't you? You know for the fact if you start eating the fucking pub every night, eventually some dickhead's going to yeah. say something. You know what I mean? A couple of cans in the house will do me. Exactly. Yeah. Fosters. <laughs> Fosters. I desperate I do me. Do you one? I've got some there. <laughs> no, I've got to drive home. <laughs> so how did you rise up in the crime world then from, you just described the junior level stuff? So it's not about, when you, again, I don't want it to sound like rise up so some people think like he's, he's gone from this small time criminal to some big time gangster mafia figure or something. Yeah. <laughs> when you say that in the rise up, 
I'll I'll put it across like this. It's it's um when my crimes got worse. And so my crimes have gone from burgling houses, pinching cars and stuff, to then getting a little violent. Uh when I first went to prison, I got taxed and then something started um I started thinking, I'm had enough of this, I'm sick of people taking the mick out of me. And I started fighting back. What got taxed? Um I think it was a watch. You know, you know what, let's just stop a minute and switch chairs. Oh, go on. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very particular, are you sure? <laughs> I was going to... Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move here then. Okay. So I got... Um, <laughs> I was going to say switch that chair for this, but... I got, sorry. I, I, I got, I got um, taxed with a watch. I had a good fight. I, I fought for it, but I was young in jail. I was a soft. I couldn't fight. Uh, just a bit game and a bit mad, but couldn't fight, really. And then I just got fed up afterwards, and I was thinking about it, like I said, stewing. And then I thought, you know what, this is it. From now on, no one's going to mug me off ever again. And then I just went down a rampage. And I remember I had my first fight with someone. Well, and, and from then on, everyone was giving me attention. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, and talking about And I just remember thinking, I want this. From that moment on, I refused to back down. And I just went fighting people. And I started... Um, on a small scale, not no international scale, but started selling drugs uh, on, on, on in some ways, which I'll not go into anyway, because I uh, started selling a few drugs and stuff and then just started moving on like that. And my reputation was more just being a nutcase, really, and just going around stabbing people and trying to get a reputation for myself. I just want... I had this thing in my head where I wanted to be feared. I wanted people to know who I was. And so I was just running around, just trying to hurt people. So... If someone said to me, see him over there, no one will cross him. Like a normal person will think, ooh, I'll keep away from him. You go off, I, I, would, I, I would feel like, how? what can I do now to put it on him? So I'd maybe walk past and sort of bump into him and sort of go, are you, who are you talking to? What are you doing? And, we, and, I'd, and I'd stab him or something. And that was <laughs> that was what I would do. But as in like doing things as in like, to, um, like some big time organised criminal, I've never rose to that. I've just literally been an absolute nutter who just ran around. And, and and if I didn't change, I'd have probably killed someone or been killed. And that's that. You got away with it for a long time, didn't you? Uh, um, Stabbings. Last... Yeah. Yeah. Did you think about doing the doors, big lad? I wasn't big at the time, though. Oh, right. So I was a skinny lad when I was running around like a loony. So it's, hard to ex- it's just hard to explain because there's different kinds of I don't want it to sound like I'm saying I was like you know when you say when did you yeah. rise up yeah you've made that clear yeah, yeah so when did you go from one knife to like just having a whole pack after me first stabbing because I, I I got like a frit like I, be, I don't know should I say when I did me first stabbing and I, um, I got a feeling and like a nice feeling like a a rush and and so like I used to after that I used to start there uh, my hairs would stand on end and I'd like think about killing people and stuff and then I started like uh, walk that's it I just got the full pack and I started having a, a fascination with them and uh, just and then I'd just start walking around with the with them all around my waist and and just and it made me feel a bit like so how were they hidden like just in I used to just put them down down yeah. my waist yeah so if, I, if I fell her out I'd be in trouble yeah. Yeah, but if I fell her out, I'd be in serious trouble. Um, and, and that's where, basically, that's how it all was, really. So you earned your respect. You, like, you were getting bullied. You I, wouldn't your respect. Say, I wouldn't say... More like people just had a fear. Fear. 
more, more than respect. Who yeah. respects someone who's running around stabbing people? Who respects people who are running around like burgling people? And yeah. you know, there's no. I don't think I had a reputation for respect. I had a reputation probably where half the organised criminals will think I was a scumbag. Yeah. But I was just off it, an absolute nutter. Loose cannon. And if, and if anybody came to me, you know, if anyone came to me, I, I wouldn't care if they were the top organised criminal either. Yeah. You could be the top boss all you want, but I'd, if you'd cross me and I had you in my mind, mm. I'd just come to your dawn, stab you to death. And that's the kind of person I was. That's what I was like um, until I obviously become a bit uh, changed. So you said you got taxed in the jail when you were a youngster, but then people started to fear you in the jail as well. Yeah. I had fear before I went in. Okay. They carried over from the streets. Yeah, because... When I stabbed um, Gales in the head, Gales he got a reputation in jail because he's a nut- he, he he was a bit of a nutter himself. In fact, he's in jail now doing life, so he's a bit of a nutter himself. So when I did that, everyone in the jail system knows who he is. So they were all like, "Oh, he, st- he did thingy." Do you know what I mean? And then when I was, um, everyone knew that I'd been running around stabbing people, and I was a bit off it because the few people who I stabbed were known for being psychopaths themselves. Should have got a job as a chef. Oh, I should have definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Just go get a canopy one second. Yeah, yeah, let's just take a break one second. So, what was it that caused you to turn your life around? So, I was in um, HMP Whitemore, Top Security. What? No. Long Larton. I was in Long Larton, Top Security Prison, and. my door opened and told me to go to education. And the education, so you've got what you call in prison, just in case, because some people don't know, they've got movements. So in the morning, when it comes to going to education, they'll come and open everybody up. And whatever destination there, so visit, um, work, uh, education, gym, they'll open your doors, gym, education, and you go to education. Yeah. When you get to the other end, and you turn up at the other end, there's like um, two prison officers with a clipboard. And if it's education, you'll be at the education door and they'll check, see if your name's on the list. If your name's not on the list... You're not getting in. They've got to send you back to the wing yeah. so you can go and get banged up. So they've opened my door and said, go to education. I went to education. When I have got there, they said, your name's not on the list. So I was like, what do you mean my name's not on the list? And I made a fuss because I was one of them, do you know what I mean? What do you mean I was pet lip out, didn't get me own way kind of thing? And I must have done the officer's head in because he stepped back and he went, go to the chaplaincy. So I was like, buzzing, I'm not going back to my cell anyway. So went through, went to the chaplaincy. And when I walked in the room, there was like a circle of lads around this video, uh, video with this like posh-haired, grey-haired man, you know, hello, you know, that kind of a person. And he was on the um, telly on the video. And I didn't realise it was like a Christian course, Basics of Christianity, like it's called the Alpha Course or something, Basics of Christianity. So I sat down and I just remember thinking, oh, no one of them Christian things, you know what I mean? Them godly, crazy things. So I thought, right, as soon as the video stops, I'll go. And anyway, as the video stopped, I went to go. And one of the lads went to me, uh, you get strawberry gattos and biscuits and that. I went, miss, can you put my name down, please? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I got my name put on the course simply because of that. You know, I used to get Nescaf coffee, you know. Yeah. Used to get, like, strawberry gattos, bis- bourbon biscuits, you know, you could eat them all. And that was the reason why I carried on going on this course. <laughs> so I'm going on the course. And this time, I'm arguing and debating. I didn't believe in God or anything like that at all. I just thought they were all nuts, you know. They're just... 
I thought God was a con- like my two beliefs. I believed science disproved God, and I believed that it was a conspiracy by the government to keep everybody under control. So if you can make everyone believe there's a God and you you can't do these things, then everyone's good, you know. And I'm con- still in two ways about it myself personally. Yeah, but Easter or if people can believe in it and actually get something good out of it, more power to them. Yeah, I'm just like I don't know. Yeah. But that's just me personally. Yeah. You see people with huge sentences and then they fall back on the Bible. And yeah. It stops them from killing themselves and stuff. Yeah. 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 So it's a, look, it's a, everyone, you know, you can't force anything. But obviously, I believe in God now. So I would always say to that is, what if it's what if it is right? One day you're going to pass away. It's hard enough here. Yeah. But if you die here and you had your bad life here one day and you did stand in front of them, then what are you going to do? Because you can't go. Oh, please give me one more chance. You've had it. But anyway, I'm not going to... I'm going that way, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to? No, I'm only but, uh, uh, nice warm. <laughs> but basically, I went on this course and I disbelieved for them reasons. And I would argue all the time with them, debate with them. And I used to think, you're a load of rubbish. But what I respected was, they respected... I was swearing at them and being funny and they would be like, oh, that's great, that's your opinion. I'd be like, eh? Because normally religious people, including myself, I've done it myself, you saw... You're so thingy by it that you can't help sometimes but get a bit heated. Mm. and Not meaning to, but you so believe it that you get a bit heated. And these weren't like this. So I'm there, I'm watching it, and the, cup, the day come. But they sort of dedicate the Holy Spirit where they pray for people for God to do something and stuff like that. And they were, no, he told me, no, he's, he did all that. They were praying and praying for people. A few people started crying out happened to me. And I remember just thinking, see... Rubbish, man. It's all rubbish, brainwashing me and all that stuff. And then I went out. And no, I actually remember making a cuppa. I remember the pastor come to me and he said, look, I've never done this in all the years. Eddie Baker, who's called. He said, I've never done this in all the years. But God's just told me to tell you to come here this afternoon by yourself. He wants, no, come here. So I says, okay. So on the afternoon when they open up and do the movements, I went to the chaplaincy. I found them. You got two chairs like this. We sat in front of each other, and he said two verses out the Bible, and he said, "No one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God, which is in the Bible." And then he said another one, which was about Jesus dying on a cross for sinners, and you know, no matter what you've done, because I always had this religious belief, and the religious belief is, you no, know, you've got the good people and the bad people, and you know, you've got to have this list of stuff you can do before yeah. you're a good person for God. That's not what the Bible actually preaches, by the way. The Bible preaches that we're all bad. We're all sinners, but some of us have been given the gift of God, grace. We send Jesus down to die for you. And if you can accept that, you'll be be forgiven by what Jesus did, shedding his blood for you. It's what the Christianities believe. I've done Bible studies and they say, like, is, I mean, I quote, if there is a God, but they said it is a very jealous God. He's like, you know, if people didn't believe in him, he'd kill him. Well, it, it does say, well, that's a good question, but the reality is, yeah, he does say in the Bible, that anyone who refuses to follow him, then they are the enemies of God. That's a quite obvious. There's yeah. always a devil and there's always a God. So if you're not with God, who are you with? In the sense of religion, yeah. like the faith. So you are sort of right in that sense, but it's true. He's give you a choice and you you can choose you, to follow him or you, you choose not to. And if there's a punishment to that, then that's your choice you made, not his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. gave you a way out. He said, look, you know, believe. If you don't, then that's up to you in that sense. But what he wants is, I believe, is true people to follow him. 
and he's given you a free will to do it. Because if he doesn't give you a free will to do it, then do you really believe? See, this is the point. If God said, okay, you're all going to believe in God, and I'm going to make you believe, then you're not believing off your own accord. Therefore, no. is that a true belief? And so what God's done is he's give you free will. said, okay, you choose to go that way, you choose to go that way. Because I love you enough. I'm not going to control you like a robot. I'm going to give you the freedom to choose that choice. Because when the time comes in the end, he wants you to um, believe in it off your own accord so he knows who the true believers are. You can't get further that than sounds that, sounds crazy. You really? Yeah, you can't. Well, anyway, what was I saying about my... You were saying that you went to classes, you, you, you were taking the piss, you went for the, 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 uh, the cakes and stuff, but then you, yeah. they started to talk to you in a different way that resonated. Yeah. And then I just remember him... Nice words, lad. <laughs> and then I just remember him, I just remember having a cup, going and making a cup of coffee and the pastor come to me and saying, I've never done this in all the years I've worked here, but God's told me for you to come. Went myself, come back. And I remember sitting in a chair in front of us and he just said, right... Um, said two verse out the Bible, and then he just said, um, "Right, pray." He prayed, and then he said, "Pray." And I remember saying, "Well, what, what do you pray? What do I do?" He said, "From your heart, pray." Uh, and I just remember um, finding myself saying, uh, "God, if you're real, um, come into my life. I hate who I am. I hate who I become. Please, if you're real, just do something. Show me you're real." Um, nothing happened. I've said my prayer. And we're just in a normal chat now. The prayer's over. We're in a normal chat. And I start to feel like an energy bubbly feeling in my stomach. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And then it start to get stronger and stronger. And it, uh, it rose up, rose up, rose up. And I just got this feeling shoot up my body. And I just burst out sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And uh, it always ups this was 11 years ago, and it still upsets me now because it was the beginning of the change of my um, whole life. You sure the gas are out of date? <laughs> <laughs> it was the beginning of my the change in my whole life. That's nice, that. And it's when I realised I was wrong in life, what I've done. It's when the impact of who I've hurt really bothered me it's when um, and and since then you've gone ahead and actually spoke to some of your former victims you're able to describe any of that um i've apologized to every single victim apart from one who wouldn't accept it which is one prison officer uh, but one of the prison officers i was invited so you see i believe in god and it changed my life from that moment on. It changed my whole life. I never, uh, never committed a crime since. And and I got out, and within about a year or two, uh, one of the, the home house prison where I stabbed the prison officers, you would have thought they would have been the last prison to have me. Mm. They've only, they only contacted me, told me that one of the head officers is allowed to come round my house for cuppa. They want them to come round to see if I would to discuss whether I could come in the prison and start working with the inmates. Um, so I goes in, uh, it, I'm in the office and with the, the officer, and he said to me, um, oh, just going to ring someone a minute. So he rang, picks the phone up, rings somebody. Uh, a little bit after the door knocks, it's the prison officer who I stabbed. Um, 
And I just remember saying, look, I'm sorry what I've done. Uh, got a bit upset and I said, can you forgive me? And he held up his hand and he just said, um, he said, I, no, he said, I forgive you. And it was crazy, it was surreal, because I'm now sat with an officer who I stabbed in a prison who hated me. And I'm sat there, and we're having a cup of tea. But you know when you're very apologetic and you can't help say, I'm really sorry for what I did. I kept doing this, so we had a joke, because I, I kept saying, look, I'm really sorry. And at one point, I took a sip of my coffee and I went, look, I'm, I am really sorry I wasn't in the right frame of mind. He went, tell us about it. You know what I mean? And we had a laugh. <laughs> uh, and, and what was offered is, like, for the first time in my life, I got to see a different side to the prison officers. And I realised that when they're on them wings, they've got to act like they are. Some of them are really yeah. nice people, but they've got to be like that. They don't want to be. Some of them officers who you them probably think are horrible on the wing are the same officers who were going out in the part of a charity to stop prisoners going back to prison. This is what I was seeing. Like, this officer who people are saying they don't like, he's, like, invested and involved in running... Christian charities to try and stop the prisoners offending. They've got a front set just to say the prisoners. Yeah, because if they don't, they, it's oh, a big front set. Yeah. They'll take the mick. Yeah. If you if if they see a weakness in that officer, just how many how many? You no, know, they'll try and bully him. They'll try yeah. and get him to do stuff. They'll take the mick out of him. They'll they'll not listen to him. So he's got to have it. And it's it's not what I saw. You know, when I was on the other side, I just saw a shirt scumbag. You do get bad pennies. You, you do, do get ones where it just. It's, so quick to get the truncheon out and beat the shit out. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But majority of them aren't like that. Majority of them are decent. But you just got to know on the wing they've got to front it. Yeah, it's hundred percent, and that's what I. Re- but I'd never saw it. So when I was seeing it, it opened my eyes a little bit to like. Sometimes you're so narrow. We saw like on the blinkers of how we look and what how we see things. And if we just step back and open our eyes up a little bit. You'll begin to see that there is... Too busy in our own world, aren't we? Yeah. Just think of anyone else. So did it change your view of the whole system then? You weren't at war with the system anymore? I was at war with myself. I still am. <laughs> um, Don't stab yourself. You are, the mo- you are your worst enemy. Yeah. That's what I've learned. You are your worst enemy. Like the t- Pride in the Bible says pride comes before a fall. See, it's pride what makes you not want to get mugged off so you go and stab someone. So that little gang member over there... When he ends up going and shooting him, do you know why he did that? Because he feels mugged off, so his pride's got him. So that pride makes him want to go back for revenge. See, pride, I think, is your biggest, your biggest enemy. It's your own mindset. Your own. If you could, if someone mugs you off, and you could be at a point like, and mug me off, big deal. How many people wouldn't commit a crime if they had that mentality? How many people wouldn't get revenge if they had that mentality? I've got. I'm, a, I'm at that stage mm-hmm. now. I've got a lot of trolls who can't stand me. Call me a big fat bastard, and they're gonna do me in, and they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that. And I'm like, <laughs> asked. <laughs> know what I mean? Not bothered. Yeah. Not at all. Because at the end of the day, ninety nine percent of it's just fucking talk. They're probably like fifteen year olds sat in the fucking mum's basement, <laughs> fucking on the keyboard. You know what I mean? <laughs> there you go, trolls. What? Keep it coming, and wild man is going to kill you with kindness. He's no longer going to home visits. Yeah. Started out wild man's doing home visits. I was going <laughs> to look for your IP addresses and try and find you and kill you, but now <laughs> troll me all you want. I'm very sorry if my weight offends you. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> what happens then when people from your old lifestyle? Meet you now? Probably just think I'm an idiot because I'm like, you know, 
treat me like I don't know. It's hard. It's because there's a few people who just. I think they respect yourself. I don't know. I don't know. There's some people who do, and there's some people who don't. Have you got enemies who try and trigger you? It's not necessarily enemies who try and trigger me. It's people who aren't enemies who try and trigger trigger me. People who just, I don't know, I'm in a good place and they just seem to try and goad me and wind me up all the yeah. time to get a response out of me. And I have had once or twice where I've responded a bit and then thought, what are you doing? But yeah, I have, I've, I've had a, um, a, a lot of people, like things like my cousins, my younger like people, this is what hurts, people who were scared to death of me, people who wouldn't dream of crossing me, and they crossed me. Now, I've got to live with... you find your own family, you'll fuck you off to worst. I've, I've had it all. Family, friends. I don't, I've, listen, I'm, I'm on my own in that sense. And I like it that way. Better. Uh, and, because, and the more public you become, the more, like you say, people come out, oh, who's you think he is, all this, all that. Yeah. And the more people come out. And sometimes you do think, if you said that to me when I was 20, I'd, 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 <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't dare. You just got to know. And, and it's just like, you know what, so... so so one, of, one of Pablo Escobar's favourite quotes was, envy kills more people than cancer. It's true. As soon as you get success and people see you're doing well for yourself. I've had, I have it. Then they try and trip you up. Yep. And, he, and the, what they say about you behind everything, I've had it all. I've, I've lived it. But again, it's going through, I've been through a big process of learning that and a big process of accepting that. But you, sometimes you've got to go through a process because when it first starts happening, you, you get annoyed and you, you want to go and do something and you feel like you want to, but in the end, you're just like, you know what? I'm a man now. I can't really be chill with this childish stuff. What made you stop where well, you're not carrying knives no more? When, when, when I stopped... <laughs> the... Has he got knives on him? <laughs> when, I stopped, when, I stopped, when I started becoming... When I had that experience, what I've just experienced. Nice. At that point, I didn't just stop carrying knives. I stopped violence. Uh, I didn't... Uh, I had remorse. I was, um, I struggle more with with forgiving myself than I do anything else. You're your worst enemy, aren't you? Yeah. We all are. You're not, you're not alone, bro. You know yeah. what I mean? You're not we used to go Bible study, didn't we? Yeah. There's one song I liked that was like, Save a Wrench Like You. Uh, I kind <laughs> of like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that church on the street? Yeah. Old wooden cross. Yeah. Save a wretch like you. Jumping Jack Flash. <laughs> jumping Bill. Oh, jumping, jumping Bill. Bill, yeah. It's all in hard time, the book that we gave you. All our visits to the um, church on the street. Yeah. And this um, guy would come in called Jumping Bill. And past the wall would just stop the mass and jump. He said, I'm going to let Jumping Bill take over. <laughs> and he was bald. He had like a rainbow t-shirt on, a guitar and Jesus sandals. And he started <laughs> strumming him. And he's smiling, he's running around the room, getting everyone's faces, just smiling, like inches away from people. Comes to the back row where like all the hardcore people are inches away from their faces, getting them to smile. And he sings, he sings, he sings, and he goes, everybody jump! And the whole room starts pogo dancing. <laughs> you got the, the, you've got the Spanish and the Italians all tattooed up, but all very religious, you know what I yeah. mean? And just like, you don't see a smile out. <laughs> by the end of it, they're like, jumping themselves. It's class, isn't it? That was like, a bright moment in a dark place. I used to, um, the priest come around and give us these uh, little paper things you'd eat. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, boring yeah. as fuck they was. <laughs> <laughs> People were so hungry, you were desperate for them. <laughs> I actually got it and just threw it at him. 
No, he made an eye patch out of it first. Oh, I made an eye patch out of it. Just to like freak that. out. Because on the front row, as a lot of hardcore religious people with yeah. the religious tattoos. Wellman puts the eye patch on, he goes, look at me. <laughs> and then he throws it at the priest. <laughs> it's like a frisbee. Went, everyone watched it, got, he almost skimmed the ceiling and come down. Like, yeah. All right, anyway. Um, writing a book is not easy. What made you want to write a book? I didn't write it. I can't read and write properly. <laughs> but So I'll answer it in this way. I was approached and told that my story uh, by... Uh, uh, a freelance BBC man from the Glasshouse Publications. And he was he spoke to me for a bit and asked me if I'd do it, and I was uh, a bit, I don't know. And then in the end I thought, yeah, suck it. How many people might read this and see that you can change, see that you can change your life, see that, for me personally, my, to come to God. But if not, just to show that no matter what life you've had, no matter how much of a scumbag you are, you can change. Uh, and I'm proof of that. And so, if if one person can read the book, um, then I'm I'm good enough with that. And and if it helps them, I mean, uh, then I'm good enough with that. And How do you know you're getting a good deal though? How do you know? Did it say have you got legal representation? I'm not bothered about a good deal. You got you got to make money out of it, right? I'm not bothered about money. What about people who are reading the book? Are they contacting you, to, giving you saying like this is? Oh, I've, I've had two people who've turned up at my church saying that. They believe in God now, and they've been going to my church ever since. Brilliant. I've had people, um, I've had, you wouldn't believe the, the amount of people who've come to me and said, look, it's helped them, they've changed. Not necessarily all come to God, but they've sent them on a, the right path. Right path, yeah. uh, I know handy criminals who are ex-criminals who have given their lives to God simply because they realised how psychopathic I used to be, and they just cannot believe that I'm in the position I'm in now. And they just can't, they just can't get it because he, uh, one lad always talks about. He just, there was a look in my eyes, um, where I it just it, it, when I looked at him, it was as if I was looking. They couldn't. It was I was looking through, through them. There was something blank there. You know when they look dead eyes. Yeah, and then they look now, and even though they're a little dead, they're a bit alive now. Do you know? <laughs> no, but now that now you can, they're saying that they, they don't see that thing where it feels like they were looking through, and something must have happened to me, uh, and so. I think your eyes are sparkling now, like oh, very yeah. alive. Yeah, yeah, Psychopath yeah. has left the building. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the BBC then, and a possible film. What's what's going on? It's a, a documentary film. So it's um, they basically they've just went round interviewing prison officers. Uh, they filmed me in uh, Home House Prison, where I stabbed the prison officers. They filmed a prison or head prison officer who knows about it, who's friends with the officers are stabbed. They've gone to my friends. See, I wanted to same with the book as well. I wanted it to make it not one-sided so I can big myself up. And so what I did is I went to everybody who was involved and I, I said, this is the story of what I've explained. Do you agree with that? And they've said, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, and, and they've agreed with it and it's gone in. The documentary has just literally gone round and interviewed everyone who was part of my life who can back up what I'm saying. And you're talking prison officers, police officers, judges. You're talking... Um, ex-offenders, ex-offenders, criminals who I was hung about with as a kid, uh, uh, um, people who I've had uh, run-ins with. So I talked about that, Paul Venice, the the K1 fighter. He's on it. He's uh, he's talking about what I used to be like. Said he'd bash me, which he would. I've got to admit that he's solid. You know what I mean? Give me a right slap. But but he he, he said, you know, he, he, he remembers me and he knows. He... 
you know, that I'm the kind of person that would have sort of come back and. Did they interview the guard who used to have the, who, who, who accepted your forgiveness? No, but the, the no. Uh, he wouldn't. He would. He was asked to do it, but he didn't want to do it. So they interviewed the, you know, the one who arranged for me to meet him. When he rang him and he come. Yeah. Forgiveness, forgiveness is enough, though, isn't it? You don't yeah, want, he's, he's forgiven you don't me. Want to put him on front street. Well, do you, do you know what? It's it's unbelievable because when I was doing an alpha course in there with the, with the lads, he was actually sending like lads up to say, "Oh, tell Shane, I'm asking after him." It's like you you can't make this stuff. It's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? I'm just yeah. in a place now. I've gone round the country talking, telling, talking. Uh, do you know what happened? So I went down to London. Had this one book on me. Right, and I'm walking through this um, big massive. I've just done a talk, and I'm walking through this big massive shop, uh, co- coffee shop, and I'm eating all that and stuff like that. And there's a lad there, and I just felt, you know, I, I know you don't. Some people don't believe, but I just felt God say, "See him over there." A lad there, he said, "Go to him and give him a book." So I walked over, said, "Here, mate." I said, "Don't know why." I was just getting a big urge to, to come over and give you this book, so I'm going to listen to the urge. They give him the book. So he reads the front, most dangerous prisoner. He jumped up, he went, mate, are you being serious? I was like, what? He said, I'm on home release from prison. He said, I'm going back to prison in a couple of days. He said, how on earth did you know to come to me? How on earth did you know to come and give me that book? He's like, I can't believe it. He said, I've been, no. And it just, like, it makes me walk off thinking, Stuff like that makes me think even more, you know. Like, yeah. I know I'm right, I know. And, and things like that happen all the time. Now all that positive energy now, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I just love helping people. I love um, just doing the right thing. But I will say, it's not it's not been easy. It's a battle all the time. And it's still, I'm not going to profess that, like, instantly, it, I've, that's it. There's never been no struggles in fact, sometimes it's tougher and harder for me because before, if I re- reacted to people and dealt with them, then the pressure was gone. I had no pressure. I dealt with it, and I'm happy now. Yeah. They know not to cross me. Now I've got to live with the fact that I'm being mugged off and I've just got to take it. And, and, and that sometimes is even more pressure in your own mind than you know the pride and think I'm a mug and all that stuff. Is a bigger battle to overcome sometimes. Sometimes when you've lived an exciting life and then you calm down, you still have to do other things to give you that excitement. Yeah. Have you replaced the old stuff with other things that oh, give definitely. you excitement? Church. My wife. Every night. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, only, I'm just trying to have a crack on. But yeah, you know, if, if you can... Uh, my kids and, and stuff like that and my wife and... And just doing stuff, and I get a buzz out of going around talking and and helping Still people. Still doing out. Your fitness? Does it look like it? <laughs> Not really. And again, it's because when I was training before, I trained for one reason: to be ready if I had to. You know, I was mentally ill. I I had this. Um, you don't have to be ready for nothing now, do you? No, you know what I mean? not. Well, I hope not. But yeah. yeah. But now I'm just sort of. I chill out. I've got no problems. Uh, no, no worries at the minute, so I'll just um, chill out and just let God hopefully help my life get better. What's People? your favourite scram? Do you like kebabs? Love kebab. Um, what was it? Um, hot shot pizza, full of kebab meat on the top. Oh, that sounds nice. And twenty packets of uh, twenty um, bags of chips as well. I love the 
Chinese chips. Oh, do you? Yeah, I love them. So I buy them on their own and eat them. So I've got to be careful because I was like, I was meant to have started losing like loads of weight for the on the lockdown. Yeah. Right, that's it. I'm going to lose weight. I've put about a stone and a half on. Tell Can't me stop about eating. Fucking hell. <laughs> 27 fucking stone. It's because you get older and you don't, you don't care like about your looks. And I think that's what the problem is, isn't it? Sometimes or some. You just think, sack it. Uh, who cares? I'm married now. Yeah. I've, got, I've got my woman. Fuck it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Doesn't matter if I look like a fat bastard or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame people watching this are going to be so inspired by this incredible turnaround I mean I've never heard someone go from one extreme like that so far to the other and that's remarkable and that's you know credit to your character and your personal development everything if these people are watching this who are inspired by you if they want to contact you I mean I'm going to put all your links in the description box what's the preferred method of them contacting you probably his email by email, so yeah. put your email down there. Email, and if the one if the contact goes, I'll just give them a number, and then Are you on like Facebook or anything like that. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I it's... wouldn't give you numbers out on Facebook or anything like that. Like, no, I don't. I you're gonna get fucking dickheads. Going. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've, I've only got. I went from five thousand people to two hundred on my Facebook. Yeah. If I haven't if met them, uh, and 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 don't know them, I don't tend to add them. Uh, but. Um, I guess if there was people who were contact me saying they're struggling and they seemed all right, then I guess I would. And I guess I probably might possibly just on my email say, here's my number. Can easily block it if the. I've got Thai birds. I don't even have the birds to make me fucking men, actually. <laughs> Look all right, like, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you've enjoyed this video, then please let us know in the comments section what you thought about it today. And if you want to subscribe, thanks for subscribing. Subscription logos in the bottom right-hand corner. If you want to donate to what we're doing, producing these podcasts at this high quality in the studio, donation links are also in the description box. There's a link to Wildman's playlist in the description box. He's got over 100 videos now, hours and hours and hours of endless content. And now he's got his Skype set up officially. Yeah. That was at his house. Set that uh, up. And um, he's going to be doing interviewing people all over the world who've got prison experiences himself um, by Skype webcam. I'm going to be in charge of the Epstein stuff that, that Wildman loves so much. Can't stand the cunt. <laughs> <laughs> if, right. you, if you thought I was mad, this guy's really mad, you know what I mean? Was. Was. <laughs> yes, was. Let's give you a hug, man. That's yeah. brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely blown away by your story. Man. Yeah, yeah, well done.